So I want to become a dog trader. Oh, yeah? But when I look, I just don't know who to join. Yeah. It's a sea of acronyms, and it appears to be unregulated. <laughs> I want to know my money is well spent with me joining a team of dynamic, ethical professionals who have the same goals as me. I also want to be taught using the most up-to-date, science-led data. So where do I go? You heard of Pat? It's a place to go to become the most knowledgeable, skilled, ethical, science-based dog training instructor you can be. It's also one of the few organisations good enough to be a member of the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. The Professional Association of Canine Trainers, PACT for short, is here to help you become the best accredited dog trainer you can be. PACT gonna help you reach your goals. PACT is the place you need to go. Oh, PACT if you love dogs like we do too. PACT we are indeed the place for you. PACT it's time to take that leap of faith. PACT delay no further while you wait. Come find us at packed-dogs.com. Are you looking for the ideal gift for the dog-loving children in your family? Jack and Billy Puppy Tales is a delightful story with an important message for children of all ages. It's written by Steve Goodall and Sally Bradbury. You'll follow two puppies, Jack and Billy, during that all-important first year of their lives. It's had some amazing reviews from some of the top dog trainers in the world. Dr Ian Dunbar, veterinary behaviourist, says... I started to smile after only four pages. I couldn't put it down and at the end I could barely read for tears of happiness. This is a wonderful book. Karen Tong, dog training instructor and child dog bite prevention educator, said this. This will definitely educate both children and adults about the correct way to bring up a puppy. It belongs in the home of all dog lovers and anyone considering acquiring a puppy. You can find us at jackandbillypuppytails.com and join the adventures. We're also on Facebook, Jack and Billy Puppy Tales. See you soon. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop till we're gone. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop, we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. Hello. Hello, everybody. Word to your mother, bookshelvers. <laughs> I like, I like the word to your mother every now and again. And word, How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Where to your mother as well, Natalie? Like, hang on, stop, stop, hang on. Small, what? small gap for your uh, theme song. There you go.
Okay, thanks for that. <laughs> Proper introduction. I don't get to use it very often. And like I said on uh, Greg's Off the Shelf, um, it's my favourite jingle. It's good. <laughs> I feel like I should be sort of jogging into the room, like, you know, an entrance to it's like hard. a boxer's entrance. You should. It's a harsh jingle. It's like a, it's hard to take, much <laughs> much like yourself, Natalie. <laughs> oh, thanks, dude. That's lovely. <laughs> you know I'm only joking. I know, I know. <laughs> so, what's been going on in? Well, actually, there should be another jingle. Actually, and if there was uh, another jingle, it would go something like this: Yay. Natalie's injury odyssey. Yeah. So, well, how have you injured yourself this week, Natalie? This week, I went. Uh, for a walk on the beach. Big mistake. Uh, Le- Leon Solon and I was chatting away, not looking where I was going, and I fell off the promenade onto my leg. Ooh. Well listeners yeah. listeners, Nat's got a graze that can only be described as like, you know, a ten year old's graze. That's right. It is. It's like I fell off my bike. Like and it was one of those falls. Honestly, I'm gonna get the giggles if I start talking about it because it was so funny. And <laughs> It was one of that, you know, when you think you start going and then you think you're going to recover, but you're not. And I just, <laughs> I just went, oh, God. Oh. Was it a 10 minute fall? It was a 10 minute fall. <laughs> and then a spectacular nosedive. Um, yeah. And then uh, then I was bleeding a lot. It was it was it was funny. I was laughing a lot. If and, Karen uh, was there, she would have known she'd still be laughing now. She's horrendous oh at God. laughing at other people falling over. I'm still laughing. My sister was there and we were both absolutely <laughs> wetting ourselves. And luckily I didn't land on any dogs, though. So, you know, it could have been a lot worse. And then <laughs> to add to the calamity. Blooming bookshelf exploded, didn't it? I know. Uh, for those of you that don't know, have a look back on the old um, uh, Facebook page because there's a picture of it up there. But yeah, yeah, that's what happens when. Uh, do, do you know what? Do you know why? Do you know when that doesn't happen? That when when you get audio books. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, uh, my books have never fallen yeah. out of my phone. They've okay, never done. True. They've never woken me up in the morning by falling out of my phone onto the floor. Okay, and, so in. In the grand scheme of things, of the pros and cons of audiobooks, you've got one pro. Yeah, but I'm holding okay. on to it like I'm holding on to it like I'm a like I'm a free soloing climber with my fingertips, <laughs> with my talcum powdered fingertips. I'm holding on to that one. There'll be okay, others. Well, it's it's my first one, but there will be others. All right. Well, you let me know when you think of another one because. I'm still not on board, mate. <laughs> so, listeners, uh, let's let's have a little sweepstake about what what body part Nat will injure by next week. Um, we might even get a little little bit. Of, it's not right to gamble, but hey, why not? You know, it's, lo- it's lockdown, isn't it? That's all right, isn't it? Yeah. Have a little gamble if you want to. I'll start a poll on the Facebook page. We'll start a poll. Yeah. Okay. What What am I going to do by next week? Although, actually, um, you know segueing seamlessly mm-hmm. uh into uh what we discussed on the steve mann podcast um i did eat your birthday present well mm. i drank it mm. and i actually had one after i'd fallen over it was gin it Whee! was gin it was, it we, was gin. we did have a slightly edible part of your birthday yes present. well they they they've gone long ago mate <laughs> Go the on. amazing Nomo salted caramel chocolate <gasps> bars. Shut the front door. They're amazing. Yeah. Uh, who yeah. asked us the question about, I can't remember now, it was the question about your birthday present. Um, 
on the Facebook page. There it was, was on the Facebook page. On the um, Facebook pages. I'll have to look it up. Um, but I said we would discuss it on the on the podcast. So there you go. Yes. It was it was gin. It was gin from a local distillery. It had uh, the description on the back of it. You were lucky to get it. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, and but, the bottle is beautiful. It will be staying as a vase of some description. That's how I pick wines, just based on the bottle. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and, and the price, on obviously. Oh, yeah, price. <laughs> the low shelf, what's the best bot- looking <laughs> bottle on the lowest shelf? That's how I pick wines. <laughs> well, there you I'm go. I'm glad we're on the same wavelength Little there. window into my psyche. I've had some biblical weather. I'm guessing you have because you don't live far from me, but biblical weather today. Yeah, I haven't really ventured out today, to be honest. We've had thunder, which um, our little Penny didn't enjoy. I think Actually, I think she did enjoy it because it meant, it meant she got a pizzle on our bed. Which sounds weird, doesn't it? But yeah, she it is. does sound a little bit weird. But... So when I got in, I opened the bedroom door, and there she was, pizzling away on the bed. And she normally she'd run over to me like, "Yeah, Daddy's home," but she just looked, she stopped like with pizzling mouth, yeah. stared at me like, "Do not come any closer to this pizzle." Yeah, <laughs> it's tense body I'm, language. I'm, I'm busy. Yeah. Leave me alone. I'm pizzling. Enough said. Yeah, with brown noise and brown noise was on as well. I know. Um, I just can't take that seriously. I was really upset that when I found out brown noise wasn't just continuous raspberry sounds. <laughs> yeah, brown noise is what you you get when you've eaten too many pulses. pizzles. <laughs> God, this went downhill quick, didn't it? Yeah, we're, start, we're starting the tone really well here, aren't we? So what, um, wow, what an episode uh, we have got for you today, um, you lovely yeah. bookshelvers out there. Um, this one is, a, I mean, uh, everyone we have on here is absolutely amazing. And under, uh, it's getting silly, like, just having to try and, like, up the ante every time we talk to someone. But this this particular gentleman is just incredible. He's probably yeah. not even... I mean, we didn't really know where to start, did we, of what no. to talk about? Because there's just so so much i looked at his body of work and instantly started sweating um yeah. and yeah and just uh, just incredible um mark beckoff mark spelt with a c see because i my middle name is mark spelt with a c so instantly i had an affinity with him i did not know that about there you there you go i'm very exotic wow <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's apparently it's the the, the french way of spelling zimach Zimach, and as ah. as we know from my accents, I have a flawless French accent. No French <laughs> words, but the accent is amazing. Uh, I think I was named. I think my mum named me after so Steve after Stevie Wonder and uh, Mark yeah. after Mark Bolan of T Rex oh, well, fame. That's pretty cool. But pretty after cool. speaking to Mark Beckoff, I'm gonna you pretend want, that I got named, named after, after him. him. Yeah, uh, he is a pr- he he is was will continue to be a legend a legend indeed so we've got we, we found it really hard to pick a book um here one book so we've gone off rails we Ooh, have we've we, broken our own rules we're rally driving through the dirt and um we have got two books hooray that's good for the bank balance um the book that i uh read was uh, uh or listened to if you want me to be really specific is unleashing your dog um by, which is actually co-authored by Mark Meckoff and Jessica Pierce. And uh, spoilers, we will be talking to Jessica Pierce on a future episode. Looking forward to that even more now. And it's a great book. You're going to love it. Um, yeah, brilliant. And what, what one did you read that? I read um, Why Dogs Hump and Bees Get Depressed. And it's, it's an oldie but goodie. So it was... Um, published back in 2013 and it's a kind of compilation of a lot of the um 
articles that Mark writes for Psychology Today. So um, it, oh my goodness, it's so easy to read. You just you just sort of delve in because each each article is maybe two, three, four pages, and they've kind of all been to put together with themes. So you sort of dip in and think, I'll just read a couple, and before you know it, you've read half the book. Oh, so I, I it was, it was like really that. good. I love a bit, a good toilet book, maybe. It was. I always I always refrain from describing books as toilet books because it sounds bad, but that's that's the highest accolade I can actually give a book. I think. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> I, I think it's a good starter so if, i mean have a look at, at um mark's website and his uh, huge back catalog of writing and we'll post some um uh links to his psychology today oh, stuff my. that he's done more recently but so if you're looking links. for something just to kind of dip in and out of then why dogs hump and bees get depressed is a really um good start so um it's basically looking at um Animal intelligence, emotions, friendship, conservation. There's a section about veganism in there, which obviously pricked my eye. Um, yeah, so really good. We found out that Mark, you got you got some uh, acquaintances in common, didn't I you? Know. Oh, that's nice when things. It's like the stars align. I know, really small world. It is and, small yeah. world, isn't it? Oh, that's great. Great, that's great. And maybe oh, I can't stay, but maybe possibly, just possibly, maybe something exciting on the horizon. There's a little teaser for you, folks. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the tagline to the dog that uh, to the dog to the book that I've read, "Unleashing Your Dog," is a field guide to giving your canine companion the best life possible. And it is exactly that. You could you could go through it. And anyway, anyway, I digress. Let's leave this for the next section, shall we? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so let's we'll, go on. onwards to why read it. So why read it? I probably put a bit too much in the introduction, didn't I? Really, but um, that's all right. Uh, one really easy to read. Mm-hmm. So pick up and go. You got I don't know. You got five minutes spare. You could you could get a couple of these stories in. Um, I'm going to give you a taster of some of the kind of things that he writes about. So uh, the subjects vary from. Um, Animals' lives matter, sentience and feelings count, Uh, compassion begets compassion. Should we kill animals who presumably attack humans? Oh, that's interesting. Um, Human-like violence is extremely rare in other animals. I'm just picking these by uh, just out of the blue. Uh, Flies on booze and apes on apps. Uh, Chimpanzees and meerkats, the importance of accurate media. Uh, can dogs experience guilt, pride, and shame? Why not? Oh, well, we we talked a little bit about that. And, and, we did. And, 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 uh, hidden tales of yellow snow. What a dog's nose knows. I love the titles I mean, of them. That's, oh, yeah, are, they, they're are, they the actual, they? are they the actual titles of the the sections in? They're the actual titles of the Psychology Today articles. Um, so it's kind of split into different parts which are not necessarily all put together uh there's like themes basically so you could just pick through and i mean they're just amazing all all sorts of different things about um you know captive animals lots of stuff about moral justice which i know we talked about when we spoke to mark um and emotional lives of animals consciousness sentience uh relationship conservation empathy it's just a blooming good book. So do, do you know the answer then as to do bees get depressed? 
No, because I didn't want to be. I I basically picked a few at random. And you wanted to go uh, for the more stories. dog type ones. And yeah, I did. I didn't want to be too um, obvious, you know, oh, well, with what, the ones I chose. And so, that, yeah, considering that's in the title, that would have been really obvious. It would happen. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not going to look for it and tell people the answer because I think they need to look for themselves. Buy the book, look for yourselves. Exactly. So um, uh, why read my one? again? Well, again, looking at that, uh, being a field guide to giving your canine companion the best life possible, it's just great. Um, it breaks it down into all of the, the, the sort of like constituent parts of how you can enrich and give your dog the best life possible, why you should be doing the sort of things you should be doing with them um, and breaks it down really easily. I said in the interview, so you'll hear me say again, I think I think it would be great to have a, right at the end of the book, I'm going to talk about this uh, in Prepped My Hour section, but right at the end of the book there's 10 um kind of rules to live by if, if you if you live with a, a dog as a companion animal and i think if you add these writ large on your front door every time mm. you were leaving your house to go out for a walk or even on, on your mirror so every time you had looked in your mirror to check um how whether your hair was growing back is that just me oh, no. um <laughs> this would be good it would be really it would be really handy for everyone and that's why you should read it um uh so yeah i'll go more into that in the next section but uh, again amazing book um but his back catalogue in terms of what he's written is just humongous you can't really go wrong i don't think um no yeah um and he and he talks a little bit about the other books that he's written in his new book sounds absolutely fascinating doesn't it yeah i can't remember oh hang on a minute i might be able to find what it's called here is it Um, rewilding It's, it's about it's about how dogs might live once yeah so about how dogs might live when human beings disappear off the planet it's called or at least it's working title is dogs gone wild imagining the lives of dogs in a world without humans how cool is that i'd love to read that that. yeah Yeah. so um yeah he um yeah he heard it here first stick it on the list won't we and have him back on it's on the list it's on the list it's there i i hear someone drawing back a bow duck (laughs) <laughs> good segue you like that one yeah yeah, yeah it's good yeah, it's good, good. Yeah. i wondered what you were going on about then i, I was that. like oh, oh right okay, okay this is why this is why you know nat's brilliant because she continues to humor me after all these years <laughs> <laughs> here we go then pricked my eye no oh, you pricked my eye all right prick my eye then um i i've got uh, again you know it all pricked my eye, if I'm being honest. So it's hard. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? So hard to pick no. these little things, and and you're always sort of conscious of, you know, I really would like people to go and get these books and have your eyes pricked as much as my eyes Indeed. been pricked. Um, but right, right at the end, um, uh, there are ten ways to make your dog happier in our environment. So the whole way through the book, the whole ethos is what we can do to look look at. Um, meeting our dog's welfare needs uh predominantly with with a with a with an eye on letting them exhibit natural behaviors as much as is humanly possible within mm-hmm. owning a, a companion animal so um these are so 10 he lists out 10 ways that you can do it and these are the 10 that i was talking about before stick them on your mirror stick them on your front door have them in your head um you can't go far wrong if you're trying to meet even half of these i think so number one <clears throat> uh let your dog be a dog course uh number two teach your dog how to thrive in human environments number three have shared experiences with your dog number four be grateful for how much your dog can teach you i love that one 
Number five, make life an adventure for your dog. Number six, give your dog as many choices as possible. Number seven, make your dog's life interesting by providing variety in feeding, walking and making friends. Number eight, give your dog endless opportunities to play. Number nine, give your dog affection and attention every day. And number 10, nice one, this one as well, be loyal to your dog. Um, and I think, you know, if, you, if you've got, if you've been mindful about all those things, I think it can go a long way. I Some of the ones I just wanted to pick out and talk about a few of them um, that have shared experiences with your dog is something um, I've been doing a lot of um, probably over the last kind of couple of years, to be quite honest, maybe even longer than that, three or four years. But it gets more and more. It gets like a snowball effect because once you start going down this road, this kind of for want of a better word, mindful, like, you know, approach yeah. to sort of dog training or dog, dog training, dog com- you know, being a dog's companion. I don't know what the word is. What's the word now? What am I, I, what am I scrambling what for? About relationship? Yes, your dog's relationship. Yeah. Um, uh, I I do a lot of this sort of stuff. And, and um, it, this kind of harks back to the backpack walk a little bit with Steve Mann, you know. Um, yeah. Shared experiences. Um, We've done uh, this at ours. We're allowed to do outside classes now, socially distant classes. <laughs> And uh, oh, it's it's a brawl. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, um, we did a little backpack walk because we had talked to Steve about it. So I told everyone on my uh, Saturday strollers class to bring a backpack with all the items in. And um, yes, yeah, so they they all did. Fair play to them. They all played along, um, and we had a great time. It was brilliant. Uh, and that shared experience of like you know, here's an object to explore. Here's some treats. Um, I'd, I'd throw something in there as well on that backpack walk um, that uh, a, a, an item of food that you can kind of enjoy with your dog, like share with your dog. Oh, that's um, a nice idea. Yeah, I, and that I think that, that works wonders. So it has as many shared experiences, but that can be just a, could just be you share the walk with your dog. We bang on about it a lot, don't we, in terms of like, you know, going for a walk with your dog or taking your dog for a walk. There is a big difference. So just sharing experiences is great. I wanted to bring that one out and make life an adventure for your dog. I think this one, you know, this one applies to me or this is what it makes me think of, especially with puppies, like, you know, going on, on little adventures with them rather than going on route, marchy walks, that sort of thing. Again, something I've talked about before, but I love that. Um, Give your dog affection and attention every day. There was actually uh, a study. I'm going to hand this because I haven't got it to hand here. But um, it was a study done in Britain, actually. And it was quite uh, um, astounding how many people don't interact with their dogs that much each day. Um, And it was quite a big study as well. So we were talking about sample sets with with Mark. And you'll hear that in the interview. But, you know, just just, they, they like or most dogs, you know, every dog's an individual, but, you know, they want to be close. Most of them like to be touched. I found something sciencey out in that. I can put, my, can put my science hat on. Um, they have actual special neurons in their skin that only respond to gentle touch. So these neurons don't fire if you prod or poke or do anything like that. They only actually respond to to petting, smoothing. Nice I, do you know what? I'd never heard the word smoothing used in terms of stroking a dog until i met corin and then i hear it all the time now um i, don't know. I think it's quite uh i don't know i don't know what the derivation of it but mm, yeah. um yeah I, i've only heard it from uh 
Canadians and and some Scottish people that I know as well. Well, yeah. there you go. That that makes sense. Yeah. And that makes sense. So yeah, and and the last one, be loyal to your dog. That that sort of. Uh, public consciousness thing that you know you, you want a loyal dog and my dog is loyal you want i like that flip that on its head goes both goes both yeah. ways mate both ways so yeah that pricked my eye that list i think i think it's brilliant and we've, we've had a few good lists on the barks from the bookshelf um, yeah. podcast i mean the old ken ramirez one um springs to mind the four most overlooked uh, uh, overlooked uh, things in dog training um i love a list a list is good, I think. Unless it's and a to-do can... list, that freaks me oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I quite like a to-do list. Of course you do. Because it involves stationery. So. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> file a fa- fanny on the go. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about then? What about a list of what you're going to buy from a stationery store? Oh my god! <laughs> don't don't even a list a list for when Paper Chase opens. No, I'm I'm very I'm very good because I'm a I'm a kind of waste free or low waste so i have to use things before i can buy new ones plus i, I used to quite know. enjoy um I worked, one of my first jobs when i was a nipper uh was i worked as a um like a storeman in a in an aircraft building factory and uh, they had a station we covered and i love nothing more than like pinching, oh, a, yeah. pinching a pen from the station we covered taking it home oh free pen hello yeah yeah <laughs> You got to you, you got to raid the stationery cupboard every so often. I got sacked though. Um, oh, I didn't really. I didn't really. Yeah, five hundred pence is excessive, Steve. <laughs> I contributed to a national pen shortage. So, what's pricked your what's pricked your eye? I got a couple of things in here, and I think um, rather than spoiling some of the articles and the, the stories, I just. Um, chose a couple of things that kind of I hope um Mark would be happy with me mm-hmm. um kind of reading out as a a good summary of his kind of ethics and ethos which I think are very closely aligned to mine so um there's one section in the um introduction and it just says um uh he's talking about uh, talking to his colleagues he says we don't always agree but that's not what's important. What's important is that we talk with and not at one another. Mm. And so come to a greater understanding of, of the other animals with whom we share our one and only planet. That's great. Well, that was good. And, I love that. you know, very, very topical with all the stuff going on at the moment in the world oh good um, lord yeah i've got on a, i've got on a few debates on the old yeah. facebooks and things recently not wanting to go too far into it but yeah and that that's right yeah like i've tried to approach it from uh i mean don't get into arguments with egypts obviously do you know yeah. what i mean like avoid them but there are on occasion times when you know you can get into a just a nice friendly discussion with friendly people and yeah yeah I, I and like I don't that. think we should we shouldn't shy away from that no. and um actually I I re-watched um uh, uh Jonathan Pye does America American I can't remember oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah American you know he Pye, did yeah. the the feature length thing yep. I watched that um a couple of days ago and that there are these people at the um convention he's at where they're doing active listening so they're saying so what I'm hearing from you is da, 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 and it just all tied together quite nicely this week. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing that pricked my eye um, was this, which not only, I mean, 
I don't know. It could be a Greg Wallace moment, you know. Ooh. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save, save it. it. Okay. Yep, I'm going to save it. Oh. Change my mind. Lucky. Lucky us. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so there. There we go. There we go. Well, there you go. Um, uh, Two fantastic uh, reasons there to have a look at these books. Um, I should probably say, I thought everyone's probably, I'm probably late to this party, but I found out that you can buy second-hand books on like Amazon as well. So if they're in stock and places, so yeah, if you, you know, you don't have to. But you do have to watch your postage and packaging because sometimes it's more expensive. I, I captain. Yeah. Disclaimer. Yes. (laughs) Good, good. We are a public service announcement. We we really are. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That's uh, our eyes have been well and truly pricked. Um, And uh, yeah, shall we, shall we move on? Let's move on. So as we said before, we do have an interview with Mark Beckoff. Um, so so chuffed and humbled and yeah what what over the moon amazing oh my goodness what (laughs) what an amazing guy so um i've got a mark beckoff bio no 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 (laughs) no go on then tell tell us all about him stevie i will uh so uh mark is professor i I wasn't sure about this word can you teach me a word m emeritus emeritus Professor Emeritus. E- Emeritus. Uh, I don't. I don't really know either, to be honest. Mate. Sounds it's sounds really important. It's st- a very important ap- academic person. I will. Um, Hence, why I've never come across the word before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Stumbled at the first is, hurdle. Hang on. It is an adjective used to designate a retired chairperson. Professor, pastor, bishop. Oh, so it means he's a retired professor. I ah, never knew. I've learned something new. Look at that. There you go. Uh, Mark is a retired professor of ecology. <laughs> Mark is a professor emeritus. I'm going I'm to pronounce it like that. Of ecology yeah, and evolutionary biology at the Universal the University of Colorado Boulder. By the way, that it's beautiful. Where Mark lives is beautiful. You ever get a chance to have a look at some pictures of uh, Boulder, Colorado? Absolutely stunning. Um, he has published 31, yes, count them, 31 books, won many awards for his research on animal behaviour, animal emotions, compassionate conservation and animal protection. Has worked closely with Jane Goodall and is former Guggenheim Fellow. Uh, Mark's latest books are Canine Confidential, Why Dogs Do What They Do, which nearly, nearly was the book that I was going to read, um, yeah. and Unleashing Your Dog, A Field Guide to Giving Your Canine Companion the Best Possible Life, which is the one I did read, which he co-authors with Jessica Pierce. He also publishes regularly for Psychology Today, as we talked about earlier. Um, he publishes many essays on all aspects of dog behaviour. Um, we'll put a link up to that because absolutely, it's absolutely incredible. You need to get involved in that, listeners. Uh, Mark and Jessica are writing a book about what the world would be like for dogs uh, when humans disappear. And that, as we said before, it's called Dogs Gone Wild, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. Um, and also, in 1986, Mark won the Masters the Masters Age Graded Tour de France. I didn't ask him about that. I'm really... I'm, I'm, I know, and he kind of... He mentioned his cycling, yeah, didn't he? he and did. then he carried on. But there's so... I, I could have honestly spoken to him all day. There was Jay's going to be out, Jay's gonna be upset about that. I, I know. I, I nearly said to him, are you on Strava? Ah, oh, um, yeah. That would be great, wouldn't it? Oh, there you But go. I guess you can kind of find... He could try and find him on there. Exactly. I'm sure he is. Um, so, yeah, Mark Beckoff, ladies and gentlemen, shall we? Shall Hello, we... Let's go and have a chat with Let... the legend. Let's do it. Here we go. Your 
worked flawlessly. Um, <laughs> so, hello, good to see you all. <laughs> yeah, lovely to see you. Thank you so much for giving up your morning to talk to us. Oh, no, I get up early and I always do these things. Yeah, I've got, I've got a question now. How early do you get up? I've got, I think I'm getting a... Um, uh, uh, an insight into your psyche of how you get so much stuff done, Mark, because um, <laughs> um, I get up around four. Wowzers. Oh my goodness. But, but I also go to sleep really early. Um, I'm a, I'm a real fan of early nights. <laughs> yeah. yeah trouble is do you, when do I you get up? Yeah, I don't get up then. <laughs> early <laughs> night, but late up. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, I've started to sort of think um, the, the earlier I get to bed, the better, because I've actually been getting up earlier recently because we just rehomed a, a new dog, um, a Newfoundland. And uh, so I like to get up and get her out. Uh, we've got a beach local to us, so we can I, she can yeah. be off of a long line and running around and being free down there. And it's, it's beautiful at the moment in England. It's actually summer, which is nice for a change. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where do you all live? What part of the UK? We're in, uh, we're near Southampton. Oh, okay. So yeah, not not far from there at all. So we're about as as south as you can get. Yeah, no, I've been there actually. I mean, so you're not. So are you far? You're not that far from. Like Jane Goodall lives in Bournemouth. Is that close she, to you? Yeah, she's very not close. Not far at all. Yeah. Yeah. And that we were going to obviously bring up Jane Goodall a little bit later. I just, she shares my name, but unfortunately, I'm not related. <laughs> I've, I've well, tried so hard to look at every ancestry thing that there is out there going, but there is, I've, there's no relation. Trying to create a link where there isn't one. <laughs> I, there's at least twice I've been sending her emails because we, we email a bunch and I, I wrote it to you. And then I, before I hit send, I realized, realized. <laughs> I, just, I just did a search for good all on my, um, well, I'm going to my... say that's a crying shame that I didn't get that email. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't be interested in it. <laughs> we're, we're actually hoping one day with fingers really crossed that she might come onto the podcast. I know it's a dog related podcast, but I, we just love to talk to her. She's incredible. Oh, she would, ha she has lots to say about dogs. I mean, her dog Rusty cool. was really her, attachment into animals oh really well there you go in fact yeah yeah i know this because i watched an, an absolutely fascinating documentary on her recently a lot of yeah. that documentary was about the roots and shoots uh, program as well mark which i only found out afterwards you were the co-founder of what's that the roots and shoots so you were the co-founder of that program. no no i wasn't oh you weren't Some, ah. somehow i know jane and i talked about that somehow <laughs> You know, it's like a meme. Ah, Somebody yeah. said something and then it takes off. No, I wasn't a co-founder. I do a lot of work with it. I still do. Okay. Um, and um, and I and going through the loops to get to. Jane, I mean, I just email her, and she did a really nice interview on Roots and Shoots a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I wasn't. You know, we're not supposed to tell anybody at the Jane Goodall Institute that Jane did it without getting their okay. okay. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> <laughs> that's why i like i like being independent <laughs> yeah fair dues um, only accountable to yourself it's a good way yeah, to so be I, yeah i really um i i prefer it that way actually yeah um, i'm with you uh, <laughs> um, I'm so how do we sorry, yeah, sorry. What do, how do we do this. What do you want to? No, no. I mean, uh... yeah. Well, I'm, uh, we're happy just to get on into it if you want. And we have. I mean, I've, the the idea of the podcast, Mark, is that we we pick a book that we either have, have learned something from ourselves, has has developed our careers in some way, um, or it's a brand new book that we've never read, but someone's uh, 
tipped us off about. Um, uh-huh. It was really hard picking books um, to talk to you about. I've got to admit, because there's so many good ones out there. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> but we have focused on two, um, okay. which is the one that you co-authored with Jessica, who is actually coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks. So that's really cool. Oh, good. Um, uh, yeah. Unleashing your dog. So that one is yep. one of them. And Nat has then also I've read. I've got one of the Psychology Today compilations. Oh my goodness. So, why dogs hump and bees get depressed. Yeah, that's an old one. Wow. Yeah. Now, but it's still it's still brilliant. So oh, thank you. No, we're we're thinking of doing another one. It, it, it's hard to put stuff together that you've written over the years. And I have two great editors, because if I had to do it, I'd be out, I mean <laughs> <out of> lunch. <laughs> um so um yeah, I mean whatever works for you works for me um, well I, I, we in the main body of the podcast we focus on the book so we have little segments but that's the bit that me and Nat do on ourselves and then we have the author okay. on for a bit of an interview that being said obviously there's loads of things we can talk to you about so a bit more of a general sort of uh, interview about um well i get i guess a good way i've already hit record i do the old um the classic hit record at the start just in case you miss oh. something so um uh yeah I, I guess the best well we talked about jane and her dog rusty being her into animals what was your into animals then, Mark? I really was into animals um, <clears throat> by street animals, if you will, because I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and um, I didn't. Li- I, I grew up with a goldfish because everybody back then had their goldfish. Um, my grandparents, who were Russian immigrants, had a dog and a cat. Yeah. Um, but my my sole interaction with animals were um, animals on the street like squirrels and various birds and ants and the goldfish who I talked to. Um, and, <laughs> I love it. And my, my, and my folks were very permissive. I mean, when I say permissive, they, they didn't think I was nuts. But, <laughs> which, um, which is always but, nice. But I always felt that connection. I really did. And so I, n- nobody who knew me back then, I don't think I knew me back then, but <laughs> nobody who knew me back then, um, were surprised, were surprised, you know, are surprised now about what I do. Um, I just always felt that connection, never questioned it. And, and that was it. So. And do you think the, the kind of the species that you uh, started off your career observing have kind of molded this more kind of ethological observation of animals? Because I think I'm from an ecology background and, Mm -hmm. um, I'm very much a watcher, not a toucher. <laughs> Whereas yeah. when I see um, some people that have grown up with um, more companion animals, so pets, they part of the interaction for them is is the touch and you know getting involved. And <coughs> I think there's there's positives on both sides, isn't there? No, that's that I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. That's re- that's really interesting, actually, because um, all my my early interactions were all hands off. Um, mm. But but even in like grade school, when when everybody was pithing frogs or, you know, dissecting worms, I didn't want to do it. Mm. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, back then I couldn't articulate. I mean, I I could say I don't want to do it because they're alive, you know. But I didn't go into the deep philosophy of it because mm. I don't really think that that's very compelling for me. What's compelling is I didn't want to do it. Um, but I always was cautious about interfering you know, in the lives of animals. And my, my background really is that I was in a 
PhD MD program and dropped out because I didn't want to kill a cat named Speedo, who I had named, although I had not partaken in any of the horrific brain surgeries. Oh, I knew gosh. it was I, I knew what it was all about. And I I just decided to leave it. You know, um, I, I just I didn't want to set myself up for, you know, a career harming animals and yeah. doing it real work. So my my bent was always to go watch animals just. And so that and that and ethology back then was just a growing field. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I knew of Jane's work on chimpanzees um, and there were other people doing that kind of work. Hans Kruk, um, who was studying hyenas and Tim Bergen, of course, the whole group at Oxford and Cambridge, Robert Hind. Um, and in the States back then, you could count the number of ethologists on one hand, really. Um, and my mentor was Mike Fox, Michael Fox, who's veterinarian psychologist and, you know, canid expert. And he and I just clicked when I left the program, um, the medical school program. Um, we clicked in terms of how to watch animals, what to do. And, and he is really one of the real early academic spokes person spokesman for ethics yeah. he really was and yeah. and so we really blended together because i remember writing him and you know saying look you know i'm at i'm at a, med a phd md program i don't want to do it um and i went to washington university as an undergraduate so it was just coincidental he appeared the year after i left at washington university mm -hmm. in st louis missouri in the united states so it was just kind of you know, some people think it's cosmic. I don't think there's any coincidences in the universe. Um, <laughs> so I really wound up going back to Washington University two years later after I left um, with my bachelor's degree and I went back to um, work with him. And we clicked. I mean, we really, we really clicked and he was an outstanding mentor, always just stressing the importance of watching. Just, mm. you know, um, we did a few experiments and but really minimal it was just watching um so that's i think we're very we're very lucky that things have moved on so much i mean i remember when i was applying for my undergrad a lot of the um university degrees involving animals in some way in, involved experimentation and you know that mm -hmm. wasn't what i was up for um and it's lovely hearing you talk because I, I feel that I feel the same. And um, my my boss at Winchester University, um, Professor Andrew Knight, he also he's a vet and he did a lot of campaigning because he didn't want to do a lot of the, you know, testing procedures that, that would um, yeah. lead to his qualification. Um, and he did a, a, a lot of um, activism against it, which is, is great. I think we, need, we all need the well, especially with what's going on in the news at the moment, we need the. <laughs> confidence to stand up for what we believe in don't we what's interesting it was andrew's 50th birthday party where there was that i was just talking about where there were three really? countries yeah i know andrew really well and i oh, know you really well so i mean they're really old friends so yeah it was andrew's 50th birthday party a couple of weeks ago and i i logged on zoom and the entire screen was posted <laughs> oh wow of, I mean, I, I, I honestly think there were 30, 20, I think Yasmin said 29 to 30 countries. That's and I, amazing. And I'm just kind of sitting there thinking, how in the world do you do this? 
Um, but yeah, Andrew is a really, Andrew's an excellent example of sort of a Mike, Michael Fox clone, mm. a veterinarian. Um, Mike, Michael went on and got a PhD in psychology, University of London, I believe, you know, as an external student, I think. I, I don't remember if he was there because he was already in the United States doing research um, and some invasive types of research. I mean, he too, you know, I think, part, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but mm. learned really quickly that really the value of learning about animals was from observation, not all the tinkering with their brains. Mm. So oh, that's interesting that you work with Andrew. Small yeah. world. Yeah, uh, it's, I always tell people it's a really small world. In yeah. fact, Hugo Van Lewick, Jane Goodall's first husband, stayed with me when he came to the United States um, back in the 70s. Yeah, and so, you know, I knew of Jane's work and I, I, the connection was somebody put us in touch because I was studying coyotes and wolves then. And, um, and he stayed with me and it was a fascinating time. They had just published their book, Innocent Killers, which is also ethologically based. Um, and so I never looked back. Um, I really think that the questions in ethology, like Tinbergian type ethology, um, were are really valuable. And 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 getting back to dogs, I think that that's what I. I mean, I I offer to people who study dogs. I mean, I've done work on captive dogs, feral dogs, free ranging dogs, and the boondocks, um, dogs at dog parks. But one of the things that concerns me a lot about dog research is that. So many studies are done on just a handful of dogs mm. answering interesting questions, but I don't, I, I don't know about their generalizability. And mm. I don't mean that as an, a, a negative thing. I mean, I think a lot of, I mean, some of the research is trashy. It just really is. Some's really good. But when you study 15 dogs in the lab, um, I'm not sure how robust you know the results are i was gonna know, so, i was gonna bring yeah. that up because i yeah. i've i'm i am by no way that scientifically minded i'm I, i'm the dunce in the room here i'll be standing no, in the corner not. in a minute don't but, sell yourself short, <laughs> but i like to try and read studies and a lot of the studies i have read have had really tiny sample sets like really yeah. tiny and, I, and i've always thought that must be because we have these massive sweeping generalizations about actually the um, we'll get onto it later. But the 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 study that you or your piece recent piece in psychology today about um, dogs unconditional love um, mm -hmm. that really spoke to me there because we we um, we say dogs unconditionally love you and and that they that that, that they cure you know loneliness and can and can be really good for you. But there's not massive amounts of evidence to say that, is there? Um, uh, or there is. No. There's, there's evidence to say that obviously lowering heart rates and and um, cortisol, dopamine, all of those things. But in terms of studies, it's a bit well, like you say, woolly is, a, is the word I'm going to use. <laughs> no, it, it it is, and that's why I, I always feel the tension that some of the studies are really well done. So it's not criticizing the yeah, sure. the, the data, but but I've said to people too, you know. If dogs unconditionally loved us, why are there such a need for why, why is there such a need for you know really good positive trainers? I don't mean that facetiously. Mm. You know those. And then I had an email about that article. I mean, all the all the emails I get about stuff like that are really positive, and people agree. But one said, "You're a blanking blank." I mean, it was really vulgar. Wow. And and of course, I don't answer it no. because because that's a no win situation. Yeah. But she said, 
she went on to say something like, even though there are problems with dogs, they still love us. And I was thinking, that's a very tenuous, um, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And, and I think it damages our interactions with dogs. Because like I said in that article, and I've said so many places, I'm not a dog trainer, but, you know, in so many places I've said, no, you know, it, thinking dogs are unconditional lovers. And when you don't get the love, it sets up these false expectations. And I, I, I hang around dog parks a lot. And I've had a lot of very serious minded people get really concerned when they say, I don't, I don't know if my dog loves me. Is there something wrong with me or my dog? And I usually, I don't know the people, so I can't really say there's something right with them. But, but I usually go, no, I mean, dogs are really choosy. And anybody who's rescued a dog who's been abused or has had a questionable background, like I have, maybe you all too, that dog doesn't love you in the beginning. You have to earn their trust yeah. and love. Mm, so, so that's among the many, many myths that prevail. And, and that was where I was going before is what I think I'd bring to the study of dogs is that I really know the literature on the captive work, but I've really know the literature and I, and I've spent thousands of hours watching free running dogs at dog parks on trails in the mountains, right outside of Boulder, Colorado. And I had, and stuff like that. And that's something I'm working on now. I mean, I've written a lot about it and it's really frustrating, but, but um, there's all these myths prevail and people go, dogs do this and don't do this. I'm going, really? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, maybe dogs in labs do or don't do this. And maybe dogs at dog parks do or don't do this, but, but who are dogs? And that, that's why Jessica and I, and um, it's great that you'll be talking to her because she's outstanding, just completed that book called dogs gone wild what will the world be like for dogs as and when humans disappear and it's a very serious minded book I can imagine. and we started we started it long before the COVID-19 <laughs> because I because both of us were just really interested in how to answer questions about who dogs are and um you know the nature of human dog relationships we were um, just actually um, talking to um, a quite well-known trainer over here in the UK, well, around the world, um, Steve Mann. And he, in uh -huh. his recent book, he um, he details a story about when he went to Cusco in Peru. I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah. Um, and they have a lot of, uh, I think he describes it as like latchkey dogs. So, you know, six o'clock in the yep. morning, let's they all get let out. Nine o'clock, they all come home. But they, they basically yep. do what they want all day. Um, and so yep. he went there specifically to see what these dogs do. And um, and it's really interesting. And he, I think the way he puts it is it's interesting what they don't do rather than Yo. what they do do. And I, I loved that. That was really good. I I, I really agree. So um, he has a new book out. Yeah. So it's, it's a, basically it's a puppy. It's a book about puppy training. It's called it's got a great name. It's called Easy Peasy Puppy Squeezy. Um, <laughs> Wait, tell me, what is it? What is it again? Easy Peasy puppy squeezy <laughs> do you brilliant. know the term easy peasy or is that a british thing yeah it sounds like quite a british thing it, it, it's what easy peasy is that a oh quite no no british we say thing? it here too Sorry. <laughs> I, I think it's more brit than american yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well he's right and and that's i really i really like that a lot it's that it's what they don't do not what they do do yeah um yeah 
I mean, that's why I always write stuff down. Um, and, and, and I think that that's one of the messages I try to tell them, you know, you know, give to people is that dogs, you know, there's no the dog. Dogs have their individual personalities. Mm. So I, as an ethologist too, I, I try to apply that to, um, I, I try to apply that a lot to um, the personal interactions and the relationships people develop with their dog. You know, oh, my dog doesn't do this, but I read in a dog book that dogs do this. So is there some, once again, the question comes back, is there something wrong with me or something wrong with mm. my dog? And I usually go, I mean, these are really good people. They just don't, you know, they're not fluent and dog. And that's one other lesson I say is, if you bring a dog into your house, learn dog. Yeah. If you bring yeah. a cat or a gerbil, you know, another animal who you rescue or foster, learn it. But, but once again, I think that's because mass media really misrepresent just a lot of dog. I, I, I've got these essays sitting here because, frankly, the New York Times is among the top of the list. They just publish articles on dog behavior and all that that really are totally off. Yeah, they're just off. And and it's not like I'm a science worshiper. I think science is important. I think common sense is important. But, you know, when you start reading in mass media, don't hug your dog, don't let your dog sleep in the bedroom, because there was an article in the Times about that, you know, where it said, well, the dogs who disturb you the most, young dogs, sick dogs, old dogs, maybe they should sleep elsewhere. And I'm thinking, no, no, that's the group of the animals who should sleep in your bedroom. Yeah. That need to, yeah. yeah. And after I published that, I had tons of emails from people saying thanks because my veterinarian said not to do this or, or do this or lock them in a crate. And I had a bunch of stories, one of which was really heart-wrenching about an older dog um, who literally was really restless, woke up in the middle of the night right next to the bed of this woman. And had they not been together, the dog would have passed away. The dog started getting antsy, started retching, rushed into the vet, and that saved their life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's another beef, if you will. I guess tofu of mine, not a beef because I'm vegan. But that's another, <laughs> but that's, another um, that's another concern of mine, really, of all the do's and don'ts and and all the, quote, rules. Yeah. And I always just say your, your, your dog is an individual, you're an individual, and the nature of your relationship is really individualistic and unique. And I'm sure, you know, once again, I'm preaching with the converted with you, but all the dogs I've shared my home with, I mean, yeah, they have similar traits, some of them, or they adopt similar traits. Because when I lived in the mountains, they were basically on their own. Mm -hmm. They rarely had collars. They didn't need leashes. All their friends would come down to my house because I, <laughs> I, I give them treats and they'd hang out. And, you know, I would bury food around my house and enrich their lives. I mean, they would spend hours searching out little pockets of your know, treats that were oh. a centimeter long yeah but but they love doing that yeah and stuff and then and then when i read these articles that dogs do this or dogs don't do this i'm thinking really <laughs> anyway <laughs> well that, I don't wanna... that comes across what, what you were saying there comes across brilliantly in unleashing your dog because it's it's like i would like to any client that i work with as a dog trainer i'd love to give this book to them because it is basically well, 
it's a it, it, it's a guide if you if you if you follow these chapters and do these things with your dog then you know your dog's life is going to be so much better and it comes i tell you what really comes across well in it as well is that each chapter does have those small points about you know each dog is different some dogs like to be touched some dogs don't you know it's and i think that comes across really well in it so you, you did a great job there um and i love the last little bit where you have the 10 the 10 rules if you like i don't know if you yeah. use the word rules but um yeah, yeah and i i love those i'm, I'm gonna go i'm not gonna bring them up here because i'm gonna go into them a bit more in depth in the main body of the podcast um uh, but yeah i i think that's a genius little bit and and if you if you woke up if you had those written on your front door as you were leaving for a walk with your dog every day <laughs> i think it would make a big difference you know rather than don't forget to turn the cooker off or whatever have those right. rules on your front door i like that idea <laughs> yeah no well thanks well thank you (laughs) it's uh i i think letting dogs be dogs is is a real hard concept for people to get i i see so so often that um that you know our idea is i get a dog um because we want companionship i want it uh, Mm -hmm. i I want my children to be friends with a dog i've got two walks a day for half an hour i'm going up the field i'm going to throw a ball chucker for half an hour i'm going to wear that dog down until it's absolutely panting and then we go home and then i just hope it's quiet until the next walk that we get out and i i see a lot of that I, i think it's changing i really do but um but I like this, this, you know, this idea of letting them be dogs, letting them you know, do natural things. And the whole juxtaposition that that all of the things that dogs want to do are sometimes the things that we don't want them to do. And, you know, when dogs sniff and you see people trying to pull their lead so that they can't have a sniff and all of these yep. things just, abs- you know, you drive past and you just, you know, you're in despair in your mind. You feel like shouting out the window, just let them have a sniff. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I do that. I, I think I have. Yeah, I've done it. Yeah. I've done, yeah. I'm very careful because dogs, because for some people, dogs are their, quote, connection to the world. And yeah. they they don't like being criticized. But I, I do it nicely. I mean, yeah. and and um, and I, I mean, and I know Jessica and I, when we were sort of putting the ideas together for the book, I mean, that was, you know, among the things that, we were really concerned about was learn dog, learn that dogs use their noses. Um, you know, just, just, just learn what they want and need and their walk is for them, you know, just basic rules of thumb. And I've really, that's been one of the joys is a lot of people have written to me, but a lot of people I know around Boulder, you know, said, Oh, wow. The walk for my, my, my dog walk in the morning or run, is really now dog centered, not me centered. Yeah, and, and um, and that's good. So, yeah. yeah, anyway, definitely, <laughs> really. Good. And I think, I think, kind of looking at the the bigger picture and uh, accepting that there are individual personalities and there's not a one size fits all approach to um, understanding dogs and training dogs it naturally move when you get on board with that it naturally moves you away from some of the debunked theories like you know pack theory dominance uh, all of the stuff that i know one of your recent articles um you wrote about and you know we certainly see it as professionals it's it's a very polarizing um 
topic to talk mm -hmm. about training methods um but also i see with my clients they've they've kind of read on the internet or they've seen on the tv what they should be doing with their dog yeah. um and they almost breathe a sigh of relief when you say no you don't have to make sure you eat before your dog <laughs> or you walk through every doorway because they think oh my goodness good good because i couldn't keep up with it <laughs> I, I, I love that sigh of relief because that's the experience I've had with people at a lot of dog parks and, you know, dog trails and other places is, oh my, you've just made my life so easy. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but that's the thing. If you learn dog and you begin to appreciate your dog as the individual who they are, it, it does make life easy. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Loose lead walking is a classic for that. Um, you know, everyone that struggles with loose lead walking has really short leads and they, they, they only get shorter as well the more that a dog pulls seemingly whereas just yep. by giving them a bit like either using a long training line or even just a, a slightly longer lead that little yep. bit more freedom and obviously choosing where you're walking your dog you know safe places and all of that that can mm. dramatically change that to the point that you really do get that oh well this is a this is a lot easier and a lot nicer than mm. than just fighting yes. against it all the time you know yeah that, exactly that's what i hear people say too wow it's a much more amicable relationship i'm not i'm not fighting them and they're not fighting me yeah mm. yeah we see no, it all the time yeah, yeah i mean it's 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 interesting so that's i mean really i mean that's just it I'm, I know you do it and I know a lot of trainers who do, but that's really the message to put out, you know, that you don't have to dominate your dog. You don't have to drag them around. You know, um, you know, Jessica, I think came, when we were writing the book came up with the term P-mail instead of email and like, <laughs> you know, their little post-its all around and that's what they're sniffing and that we wouldn't like it if we were looking at something and somebody just cut the screen, you know, or yeah. cut us off and, and pulled us away. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's a, there's a bit in one of the rules of the last bits at the end, it's make life an adventure for your dog. And I love that. Just simple terms like that. Just really, you know, think of it like you're going for a walk, but we're going to make it and applying this to walks, not just everything in their lives, obviously, but you, we're going on an adventure, you know, we're not going on a route march. We're not, you know, we're not going around the block and I've got to be done in 15 minutes. We're going somewhere where you can smell something. I'm going to take some stuff that I can maybe hide in the grass. I'm going to, you know, have a little play, a little tuggy play. Maybe we'll even sit down and watch the world go by for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and challenge, you know, that's what, you know, we also write about, but I always tell people challenge them positively. Yeah. They like to work and I don't mean like they need to be like a working dog, mm. but but, you know, um, there was a study a couple of years ago that, you know, allowing dogs to sniff um, makes them more positive, if you will. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I, in, Canine Confiden in, in, in Canine Confidential, I wrote about this woman who seriously wondered whether depriving dogs of sniffing, if you will, caused psychological problems for the dogs. And and at first people laughed, but actually it's a it's a strong possibility because mm -hmm. they're mammals. They have the same brains we do, pretty much the same neurochemicals. And I would be really frustrated if every time I was looking at something or you know listening to something, somebody just yanked me away, and I would get an incomplete picture of it. Mm. And and so I thought her question at first was kind of bizarre, but then it's not at all because the the dogs are getting incomplete information about the world around them. And that's, 
that's frustrating. Yeah. And I, 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 this woman was really interesting. I think she was actually a psychotherapist, but we were talking about how that could then um, influence the dog human relationship. You know, the dog looks at the human and says, hell, you're not even letting me experience my world. I'm not mm -hmm. a human. I don't want to experience your world. I want to be allowed to experience my world. And if I do that, I'll be feeling better. And maybe our relationship will be better. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. easy to see how that can be damaging, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And there's so much we don't know. <laughs> well, that, that brings me on to a really... That's a great segue there, Mark, because I was going to ask you a question um, about... Um, what what is so so we talked about like small sample sets things like that in the in the science of dog of dogs um so what what would you say is either the the most neglected or potentially most interesting field when you're looking at, at the sort of studies that are done are done with dogs so i'd be really interested to hear what your thoughts on that wow it's hard to come up with just one that's um, you can do as many as you like <laughs> but, but i would say you know one thing could be I mean, and also making the study of dogs more, re or, or the data set, or what we know more reliable. I always say, well, how does this apply to dogs when they are allowed to be dogs on their own with other dogs? And I understand that a lot of people don't, um, you know, don't live in situations where that's possible. Hmm. But <clears throat> one of the things I say to people, once again, which surprises them, is just a small percentage of dogs in the world are homed regularly cared for dogs. It's not a negative thing. It's a fact. So I actually have had people, I, I've actually had some friends who have dogs and they, I mean, Boulder's not a big city, but you can't let a dog just run through the streets of Boulder because there's cars. Yeah. But I've said, you know what? They said, well, my dog doesn't like the dog park. What should I do? And of course I say, well, then don't take them to the <laughs> dog park, but you can go to the dog park. So two of my friends every now and again, went to one of the local dog parks just to watch the dogs. And that was a learning experience for them. Mm. And then because their dogs are leashed most of the time, um, they really learned something. So that's another thing, you know, I'll just say like, you know, they'll say, well, my people say dogs do or don't do this. And my dog does that. And I said, well, of course, because your dog's an individual, then they go to the dog park, for example, where the dogs can run free and they see dogs do it. So they think it's normal, mm. you know, um, but, but I think that, you know, to me, the questions of how dogs negotiate their own social relationships are really important, you know, when they're on their own to come and go, you know, <clears throat> for example, <clears throat> enter or exit a relationship at a dog park or something like that, how they resolve conflict, because, because that's another myth, you know, people go, well, when the play starts and it gets rough, it becomes a fight but it only happens about 1% of the time. Mm. So if you learn dog and you know dog, then you get to read what's going on and you don't necessarily break up the interaction. And, and, and I'm not perfect. And I mean, you know, I don't know you all, but you know, no one's perfect about this no. and, and, and you could be wrong, but, but even studying wild coyotes, watching wild wolves. Yeah, they fight, but, among the young and especially young and juveniles when they're playing, it's really rare that a real fight ensues. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people that let your dog experience their life as who they are and let them learn to resolve the conflict. Once they learn what works to resolve a conflict, they can apply it to other situations. You know, um, I mean, to me, you know, living maybe because of my background and, and what you all do, you know, 
living with a dog was just an entrance into animal behavior and ethology in general. You know, just watching other animals go through the day and they play and they rest and they eat and they sometimes have little spats and then they rest again, then they eat again and then they play again (laughs) Um, and getting an idea about their daily rhythms. Um, I think, I think clarifying like uh, information we know about emotions is important. I mean, we still, the one that always comes up is guilt and do I think dogs feel guilt? I do. Has there been a good study to show that? No. Hmm. But Alexandra Horowitz, you know, who did that study of saying we're not good at reading guilt, that that's all she really did. And she'll, you know, I've published stuff with interviews with her. So immediately you pick up a popular article and it says, Dr. Horowitz showed that dogs don't feel guilt. No, she didn't show that. What she showed was we're not good at reading it. Mm. So, um, you know, and the reason I picked that is because, you know, there's so many stories about dogs feeling jealous and dogs feeling guilt. And a couple of years ago, there was finally this neuroimaging study done by um, Greg Burns at Emory University in America and his team that showed that the same, if you create a situation where dogs would feel jealous, for example, a dog seeing another dog getting food, when you put them in the MRI and you do the, re, uh, the neuroimaging, the same parts of the dog brain light up as human brain when we're feeling jealousy. Yeah. And that's about as good as it's going to get because you can't ask the dog that way. So, so I would love to see that sort of study being done, but it's really frustrating to me because there's not a lot of people out there, including dog trainers who would say what I say, we don't know. Yeah. They'll say, no, Dogs don't feel jealous. I, I feel guilt. Or, yeah, they do. And I'm thinking, well, we really don't know that. So mm-hmm. that's, to me, a big area. And the reason it is, you know, somebody said, well, why is that important? It's important because when we attribute false emotions to dogs, it's a problem. And when we know what's going on in the in dog's head as an individual, then we can deal with the situation at hand, you know, for the dog for that particular dog, you know, um, we still, we still don't, there's still things we don't know about, um, social play. So I had an eighth grade student here. I never published the data because we needed more, but I've mentioned it in a few books where she emailed me and, you know, I'm I'm a seventh grader an eighth grader, you know, and I want to do my, um, science honor science project on dog play and I'm wondering, do, do dogs who know one another play differently from dogs who don't? And she said, but I'll bet you it's been studied. It's never been studied formally. I mean, her, her, her database shows that they do, but there's not enough there. Yeah. But, and but, anecdotally, people that live with dogs would probably all say, yes, my dogs yeah. play with each other differently to how they play with someone else that they yep. might meet. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I think so, I, sorry. Go, go ahead, Nat. Uh, sorry, no, I was no, just going to no. say. I think it's it's really it's really um, important for us to be able to say we don't know. Yeah. And and to caveat things with the current research says, you know, um, because otherwise you're you're right. We we end up pushing people in the wrong direction. And um, I, I wonder with the the kickback on the guilt thing. It, it in my experience, it's it's almost a. Um, uh, uh, an explanation 
I think when owners are trying to attribute guilt, what they're actually trying to attribute is spite. Mm. So, oh. I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, right. And and that can be if they think that their their companion is being spiteful towards them. That's a massive issue with the relationship going on there. So it's it's kind of getting to the bigger picture, isn't it? Of of okay, well, if you think <laughs> your dog's doing that on purpose to annoy you that's a bigger issue than whether your dog actually is. <laughs> yeah. And actually you're, I think you're right. I mean, my, my, my experience would be extremely narrow compared to both of yours experiences. But once again, at dog parks, when people call their dogs to go and the dog doesn't come or something like that, people will say, Oh, they're doing it out of spite. Yeah. You know, they're doing it because I did this and I'm stubborn thinking, or something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. That? stubborn is the one that I get a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But but I think what you're saying is true. The dogs I mean, there could be situations where situations where the dogs getting back to you or back at you, but 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 once again, you know, when you look at the data for other animals and since dogs are mammals and you know, I always stress that we're mammals too and we share a lot of them neurobiologically, it it's really important to understand you know, what we know and don't know. And I, and I did write an essay um, for Psych Today that was pretty popular. I was kind of futzing around one day and I thought, the more I know, the more I say I don't know. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and people kind of found that to be, you know, paradoxical. And I didn't, I actually didn't necessarily mean it lightly, but what I really meant was to stress the individuality of dogs and the individuality of a dog-human relationship. Um, and I also think, that, you know, once again, the trainers I know who I really respect around here know that, you know, they go into a situation, you know, they have some knowledge, you know, they don't know the details, but they go into the situation really open-minded. Like, so I, there's a woman around here who I recommend really highly. She's a real positive force-free trainer. I really... And she knows a lot of ethology. And since we've become friends, she knows a lot more. And I love it when she hears about a situation. She immediately sets up whatever situation she needs to be with the people, the dog and all that. In contrast to a woman who went to my friend's house a couple of months ago. I don't know that she found her on the web, which, of course, is dangerous. And <laughs> the, woman, the woman showed up and the first thing she said was, um, my friend was having a problem with her dog around the, her house, you know, and, and it was, so it was really con context specific. The first thing the woman said when she walked in the house was, you know, it's nice to meet you. So the way I start is I will bring the, your dog to my house mm. and I'll put an e-collar on them that gives only a mild shock. And my friend actually politely told the woman to leave. She said, oh. I'm not. She said, I'm not doing this. Mary, on the other hand, went there, sat down as an ethologist would, looked at the home, looked at the situation, and, and in, in all honesty, solved the problem really rapidly. Yeah. I mean, I was having a problem with my dog, Jethro, because I had rescued him, and although he was a love muffin, he had had a pretty tough um, adolescent or young adolescent period, and I couldn't stop him from jumping off his dog pillow and going to the dog and bar going to the door and barking like crazy. I, I mean, I'm not a trainer. And so <laughs> it was funny. I tried and, and people went, 
oh, you should be able to do that. You know, dog behavior. And I said, yes, I know dog behavior, but I don't know how to train something out of some the dog or train it into. I, I mean, I'm honest about it. That's not my yeah. Thing. And one of the local trainers came up to my house. She's great. She just laughed. She said, I can't believe that I'm doing this and you know more dog <laughs> She solved the problem in one or two trials. I mean, literally. So I use that as an example to people because when I get emails and people ask me training questions, the very first thing I say is I'm not a dog trainer. Yeah. And and they appreciate that honesty because once again, you know, you go to a dog one of the I have all these notes and probably this five books there, but, you know, dialogues at dog parks that people say things with such authority. Yeah. You would, yeah. I know you, you have that much more than I do, you know, <laughs> your experience. <Yep. laughs> like, my dog does this or doesn't do this. And somebody says, well, let me tell you what to do. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, no. <laughs> I don't yeah, think yeah. Go on in that, sorry. Like on, like on. I don't think there's any other, well, there, there probably is, but in my experience, I can't, when, if say I'm doing a class, like a puppy class, for example, and the people go away and then they come back and then their their mum's given them a bit of advice. I've had some advice up the school gates, okay. the postman's yeah. got involved. It, <laughs> it's just like, you know, and you're going, and I try and stress to people, if anyone, I do this at the end of every class now, I say, if anyone gives you any advice, just feel free to run it past us because there's some great advice out there. There's some very mediocre advice out there and there's a actual advice that will damage your relationship with your dog if you take these things. And I think the problem is a lot of this, a lot of the advice that gets given seems logical to a lot of my clients. It seems like, oh, that makes complete sense. You know, they're doing that because of mm -hmm. that. So therefore I need to do this, you know? Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating, but I, I just don't, I don't, I guess in, in Britain, obviously nation of dog lovers, you know, renowned for it. So everyone and their cousin has had a dog grown up with a dog here. We did it this way. They did it that way. You know, if they jump up, you squeeze their paws, you got to take their dinner bowl away from them, you know, otherwise they're going to take over your house. And, you know, I, it just, oh. yeah, it just, <laughs> I, I like you say, right. none right. of it is based in with any sort of like scientific evidence at right. all. Or I don't, I don't use food because I want my dog to love me. And I say, get over it. Your do your dog <laughs> get over it. Get over it. Your dog will love you even if you um, use food. No, yeah. no, no, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's, I mean, that's why, I mean, this whole conversation or a good chunk of it is really apply, like, you know, applying what we know and don't know to individual situations. So what's normal for one dog. I mean, there's a set of dog appropriate behaviors, but then there's a set that might not be, that would be unique to an individual. Um, yeah. And in fact, you know, it's funny because a friend of mine who rescues a uh, pit bull or, you know, pit bull like dogs, um, his, do his dog named Blue recently passed away and he um, waited a bit, settled down because he was so devastated by losing Blue. Mm. And about six months ago, I saw him walking with a dog named Tommy and Tommy was about, I'm going to just say three months old at the time. And Tommy was a handful. He, he had been rescued or found along the road in the state of New Mexico. He was a mess. I, and I see them regularly. And just last week I saw them. Tommy is a love muffin. And that's because his, his human Dave knows dogs and was patient. I, mm. I honestly think that any 
not anyone, but the majority of people who would have rescued Tommy would have had to give him up. And I don't mean that as a negative thing against the people. He, he was a handful. Mm. I mean, and I yeah. know dog behavior. And I thought this is a, this is a marriage made in heaven for Tommy and for his human. And it worked, but it's, it was a story of knowing dogs, knowing, not, not taking it personally. Yeah. You know, you know I mean, and that's you know that's when I say get over it. It's it's not only about you. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. a feeling sentient being, if you will, at the end of the leash or who's walking beside you or, or and stuff like that. Um, and that gets back, you know, to something that, I mean, it's related to your question about what we know and don't know, or the big questions is how we use what we know. Jessica may talk about it when you talk about. I would talk to her, but in, in our book, The Animal's Agenda, we talked about the knowledge translation gap, which is basically the, the failure to use what we know on behalf of other animals. So on behalf of other animals doesn't only mean on behalf of animals in labs or in zoos. Yeah. It really means on behalf of your companion animals. Um, and, and that's another message I put out is this is what we know. And I feel comfortable saying we know it. It probably applies to most, maybe not all dogs. Um, this is what we don't know. And once again, realize that a small percentage of dogs in the world are actually homed. And home dogs have very different lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of goes full circle back to like individuality, you know, yeah. goes full circle stuff anyway um yeah keep asking questions so i probably have only about 20 minutes left yeah man, okay? i could i could talk to you all day mark yeah. <laughs> no 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 and i don't i don't mean i mean you no, might no, want it's fine you might want to cut it off now and that's okay no too. not at all I, I i can't i can't let you go without talking to you about uh veganism if that's something you're happy to talk about oh i'm happy to talk about it so um steve and i are both vegan as well mm -hmm. we have been for a long time um and uh i find that the students that i teach at university they're kind of drawn to the animal ethics and so they naturally are vegan most of the time mm -hmm. um and there's a really lovely part in um one of your essays where you talk about uh people that choose to be vegetarian or vegan and levels of empathy mm -hmm. and compassion um and I guess there's a really difficult area of, of society. And again, they're tricky conversations to have because we often get um, kind of told off for getting on our soapbox about things and being yeah. a, a yeah. preachy vegan. Um, yeah. But, you know, there are lots of animal lovers out there that, that also put um, non-human animals on their plates. And I wondered what you've learned over the years to try and have some of these difficult conversations without it being preachy. Yeah, no, I, I, it's a really good question. I mean, what I've learned over the years is I put out the information, you know, put out your feelings, not in a value, not, not as not in a um, prescriptive nor sort of a judgmental way and, and move on. I, I really, I really mean that. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've often written about dogs as being a gateway species for bridging the empathy gap. And um, 
the dog trainer around here, Boulder, Mary Angeli, because um, I've written a few essays with her for Psych Today, and she wrote one about um, how dog training it could be a form of humane education, and and we're, she's working on another one. Um, so the way that relates to what you're talking about is once again mm. is that <clears throat> dogs are mammals; they have feelings; they're sentient beings, and that so too do so-called food animals, you know, the mammals, birds, fishes, who we eat or people eat. Um, so how can we cross that empathy gap, use what we know on their behalf to make the, their and other animals' lives the best we can? And that's, that's all I say is, you know, um, I, one of the latest things I wrote for Psych Today was about the Ontario Farmers Association where their latest report was basically that um, we don't have any evidence that animals think or feel. Mm. That was their thing. Um, wow. I think I, 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 if you go to my Psych Today site, yeah, you'll yeah, see yeah. getting thousands of hits. And, but those are the very people, and I met people like that, who will go, well, cows and pigs and various birds and fishes who we eat are not sentient they're not, you know, they're not smart and they're not feeling animals, but my dog is. And so, yeah. and, and so the way I say it is, well, um, if, if your dog is, why do you think these other animals are, are not? And, and, and sometimes people will, I mean, they start fidgeting a lot of them. And I, and I always say to them, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. But let's get back to basic biology about, you know, their neurobiology and what the neuroimaging studies show. And move on because because you you're not going to win an argument with people who are entrenched in a certain view. But I've also really feel that I personally have made headway with people just getting them to think about what they're doing. Yeah. So so recently with all the COVID nineteen outbreaks and the closing of all the meat processing plants in the United States and across the world. I've actually had a bunch of people say, I'm no longer going to eat bacon, sausage, or ham. And that's huge. And, yeah. and, you know, sometimes people say, well, big deal. What about this? And I'm going, no, no, no. The one thing you don't want to do is not reward these positive yeah. Sure, yeah. Take the win. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and then it may generalize. So that's what I, that's how I feel about it. I mean, I just, I think a lot of people are put off by self-righteous and really, quote, militant vegans and vegetarians. And, you know, and the other thing that I put forth, and I've really been thinking about it for a really long time, is that people sometimes say to me, oh, you're an animal rights activist. Well, I might be, but really I'm interested in animal protection based on decency. So, so the compassionate conservation move you know, people say, oh, you're just a bunch of veiled animal rightists. No, 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 we're not. Mm. What we're talking about is the life of every individual matters. And that it's based on decency and respect. It's not necessarily based that these animals have a right to this or a right to that. I mean, I believe they do, but, but the term animal rights or, um, really is off-putting. So I really talk to people about... Um, decency and respect for the life of every other individual and that and that really works um 
well. And the other thing I do, and I, I just did it a few days ago with some people and, um, and it caused some pause is I say, you're talking about who's for dinner, not what's for dinner. Yeah. Because mm. who, who refers to a sentient feeling individual and, and, a few years ago, I gave a talk in Vienna and I just threw that out. And oh, um, a, a, it could have been as much as a year later, um, a woman wrote to me who I met there and she and four friends went vegetarian and vegan, some of them, based on that. Wow. And, and I just used that a few days ago. It was really interesting because for me, it's very natural to refer to dogs as who's, not which, that, or it's. Yeah. And, and, and I said that to somebody and I, there was a pause. And this is a, this is a, a, a guy I've known for years. And it, we got into a conversation. He said, you know, thank you for saying that. He loves it. It gets back to you. He loves his dog. I said, would you eat your dog? Oh, no. Well, why? I mean, <laughs> I understand why, but... You know, and then when I and I work a lot in China and people would say to me, how could you go to China? You know, they eat dogs and cats there. And I'd say, well, I just left America where they eat cows, pigs and chickens. And anyway, those are the little tidbits I put out and then I move on. Yeah. I like no. that. So that's a, a really good approach. I think I could learn learn a bit from that. Well, people can only people can only change their mind themselves if they want to. So I guess want. having little little gems to reframe the thought processes is is what you need, really. I I and I I'm always trying to say non-human animals when I'm talking about other species yeah. because I think it reminds people that we're animals too and we have the same behaviors neurobiology you know all the other stuff that we might look at um rather than talking about humans and animals yeah that's a great thing because because i write a lot for psych today and one of the um editors there i don't know if she's an editor maybe she just reads through and makes comments you know she asked me it was nice she a few years ago she said how come when you write the first time you you put non-human animals and in parentheses, you put animals. And I said, I do it just to mark that we are animals. And, mm. and, and, and she was really quite nice about it, but a lot of people aren't, you know, and, you know, every now and again, I'll slip or somebody will slip and talk about humans and animals, but I try to say humans and other animals. Um, and right. For the same reason you do, it just marks yeah. that, you know, that we're animals and, we're not trees and we're not plants and we're not members. Yeah. <laughs> we're not members of the plant kingdom. Um, but I think that over time, and I think this horrific pandemic, um, you know, just based on conversations I've had and some emails I've had has really, I don't want to say forced, but has catalyzed people to really look at their eating and wearing and other habits they have. And as you said, too, that it's in the end, they're going to make up their own minds, you know, and, and I think being pushy is, is really um, is the wrong way to go. Mm. Um, you know, it's there's very few things over which people have control in their life. And what they do have control over is, you know, who they put in their mouth and um, and in the animal's agenda. And, and Jessica could talk more about this and probably better than I can. But 
food is really important to a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and, and people say to me, oh, it's so hard to be vegan and all this. I mean, my God, I've, tra- I've flown over millions, I mean, really millions, millions of miles all over the world. And I, I'm going, no, it, it's not hard to be vegan. You can eat salad and potatoes and pasta. I mean, you know, because people don't think that way, they don't have any idea of what their meal plan can look like. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. the, the standardized meal plan is around the, the who, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> That's a great uh, – I may steal that from you. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is around the who. But, but these are not people who are just coming up with lame or – you know, fast excuses for say not being vegetarian or vegan. These are really good people. Mm. And, and you go, Oh, well, okay. Well, what about eating this or that? The other thing that I think is important that's related to this conversation. And I get grief from it from some really hardcore, if you will, animal rights people who I really respect is that good people can do bad things to animals. Yeah, they, they can. And, and, the way I explain it is number one, they have a, they have a lifestyle that's worked for them. They're really busy. They're really stressed out on a lot of different occasions and they don't know about the alternatives. They just don't know. It's not because they're dumb or mean or cruel. It's just, they don't know. Yeah. And so you could lead by example. I mean, I cycle a lot. I get in sometimes 400 kilometers a week. And after, after my rides, I will say to people, I'll buy lunch but you have to eat vegan. And <laughs> some of them will go, oh yeah, you know, that's Mark. And they'll say nasty things. But then we go out and they can get a veggie burger and French fries and a Coke if they want it. I mean, they can eat the same junk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't say a word, but that's, and um, I, I teach at the jail here. I've been teaching a course on animal behavior and conservation for years. And we have conversations like this a lot. And I, and a number of the guys in I, I teach men have gone vegetarian or vegan. And I run into them in the streets. Some are homeless. You know, they get out and they're back on the streets. And so I just have this policy. I'll buy them food, but I don't buy them ham sandwiches. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I know them and I, and I know how to interact with them. I mean, some of them have done some very, very nasty things to people. And we'll just laugh and I'll go, nope. I say, you know, I said, you can eat a veggie burger as well as you could eat a turkey or a burger yep. or a, ham, a regular, a cow burger, I call them. And, cow burger, yeah. And, and, and they laugh. I mean, they, they do because I'll say, I'm not buying you a cow burger, but I'll buy you a veggie burger. I love, and, I love, can I just, just jump in? Cause I'm really, oh, of course. really no, no, conscious I'm that I'm using your time. But, but when you brought it up, cause I was going to ask you about it anyway, the boulder art behind bars thing I oh, thought was you. fascinating. And I only thank just you. saw it about 10 minutes before we started talking. I'm looking through and I'm like, this is just incredible. So, um, I, I, um, I, uh, it's boulderjlart.com. I wrote it down on my little list there. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd encourage people to go and have a look at what you're doing down there because I'm, I'm a bit of an artist, nothing like, but the, the pictures <coughs> and the art was just fascinating. All the pictures of Jane Goodall as well. I saw a few in there. Oh yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> this is, this is huge. And in the interview I did with Jane, she actually, a couple of weeks ago, she, she restressed that, um, or stressed that program. Yeah. It's, um, it's once again, you, um, when I say using, I don't mean using in a negative way, but it's using um, non-human animals to bridge that empathy gap. Mm. Um, about 20 years ago, when I proposed teaching the course as part of Jane's Roots and Shoots 
um, you know, program. The people at jail were great. You know, they laughed. You want to do what? <laughs> so I explained to them that understanding how animals resolve, non-humans resolve conflicts could be, really be useful for these guys and women, but I teach, the, I teach guys. Um, and it's turned out, you know, that a lot of them say, um, thinking about non-humans um, softened them. It, it made them more empathic. I mean, really, um, it's, it's really heartwarming how thinking about other animals has really influenced um, a lot of their interactions with humans because a lot of them get out. Some don't. I mean, some go away for a really long time because yeah. they've done some really bad things. Yeah. Um, and, I, and among the homeless, too, um, I've really learned a lot about the dynamic between the humans and the dogs um, with whom they live. And yeah, I, I don't know how to say it. I really appreciate your comments. I really, I'm, I haven't been there in two months because of the COVID yeah. um, thing, but I, but I still go by and drop films off and they still write, um, you know, um, essays in really proper, proper poetry. I mean, some of these guys, you just go, I just sometimes, I don't, I, I've only said it to a few, but I go, God, you are so smart. You're so bright. You're so empathic. What the hell are you doing here? Mm. But the reason they're there is because I would, I would probably be there too if I had had their background and their upbringing, for yeah. example. Um, so there's another vehicle, you know, some get out and um, they, you know, you hope that they're not homeless, but one guy who I see every now and again on his bike around Boulder is homeless. And he, he basically he he laughs and says, "Well, I'm teaching animal behavior to the homeless under the Sixth Street Bridge." <laughs> and Brilliant. no, seriously, Brilliant. yeah, it is. Um, and you know, every and you know, once again, I'll buy them breakfasts. You know, when I see them a coffee, but you know, I just I I just say to them, "Look, you know, this is what I'll be glad to buy you, and this is what I won't buy you. <laughs> and if you want it, you go get it on your own." Um, so. Anyway, it's, it's so vast. I mean, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up, I mean, people just don't see often when you look at, when you look at human, non-human relationships and dogs sort of, and cats, you know, and other animals come into the picture, but it's predominantly dogs. It really is. It's, it's vast, the um, areas that it touches on. I mean, it's, it's just, it just doesn't stop. Yeah. And I don't think it will either, because there's so much we d don't no. know, we'll never know. Um, yeah, no, this is, and sadly, because the pandemic is just such a disaster, um, this is really a time for putting out, I always think this is a time for putting out really important messages about non-humans in a very relevant, easy, easy sort of to understand way, yeah. you know, given what's happening in meatpacking plants. Um, and that's why, I mean, I actually went, you know, going back to that essay I wrote about dogs not being, you know, love muffins and, and, and are they really good for us? You know, the bottom line is if they're good for you and you can handle living with a dog and give the dog a good life too, then that's great. Then do it, you know, but it's raising those sorts of questions. And I think that that's really important because I, because I think down the line and I'm not sure how far down the line, non-humans are going to come out better um, because of this um pandemic i really do well that would be a good silver lining wouldn't it 
Oh, fantastic. It would be, I think it would, what's that? That would be fantastic if it did happen. It would be, and and not even in a very selfish sort of, not, not necessarily animal-centric, non-human-centric way. I, it'll be good for the world. I yeah. mean, I, you know, the whole One Health movement, that yeah. the way we treat non-humans influences the way we treat humans. I love that One Health approach. That's why I like compassionate conservation, because it stresses that all stakeholders are important, including humans. I mean, in the real world, I mean, whatever that is, but vaguely defined real world, um, we're not going to make a lot of progress for non-humans if we don't incorporate humans into the equation. Sure. And, and, and I think that what's also, come, what's also going to come out of the pandemic is because so many people's lives have changed, it's, it's more paramount than ever that we incorporate human well-being into the equation. But we can include human well-being without harming non-humans. And that's, that's just something I've been putting forth a lot. That yeah, I, can, I like that. That's, they're not mutually exclusive, are they? They're not at all. And, and I was surprised at first because uh, there's a woman named Sarah Bexell who teaches down at the University of uh, Denver in their Institute for Human-Animal Connection. And I did an interview with her um, about a year and a half ago because she's just such a champion and knows more about the One Health movement than most people. And then I've been writing every now and again that if you care for humans, you need to care for non-humans and vice versa. But how the bottom line is when you care for humans and non-humans, the world will become a better place. And, and that's another message that I put forth in the program at the jail. And, and these guys get it. They, they get it. You know, um, and so to me, that's really, that's the answer for the future. And of course, the other answer is getting to youngsters. The other answer is really just working with kids, developing humane education programs. And once again, dogs come into the picture because when I, when I start a kid's, you know, program, I'll say, how many people here live with a dog? Hands go up, cat, snakes, lizards, gerbils. (laughs) you know, guinea pigs, rats, mice, and, and that gets the conversation going. But, but once again, you know, dogs seem to be more central figures. Yeah. Um, so they're the gateway. Yeah, <laughs> the, I gateway. Love that. the gateway to compassion, <laughs> the gateway to compassion yeah. and compassion begets compassion. Yeah. I yeah. think, I think we keep putting that message out. Not, I mean, when I say, not worrying. I don't mean not being concerned with and hoping it gets better, but I don't worry anymore about what my message is going to, if it's a positive message, I don't worry about whether people are going to take it on. I just put it out there. But I I do think that this is a hot time for putting out all the positive messages about sentience, you know, animal sentience, and also not wondering whether animals are smart or dumb. It's what they feel. That too comes up. A lot, you know, dumb humans don't, you know, so-called dumb humans don't suffer less than so-called smart humans. And that's another, that's another bumper sticker for me is it's that old Jeremy Bentham thing. It's not whether they can talk or whether they, you know, whatever it is, but can they suffer? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, that's huge because once again, things that the three of us and other people just take for granted in, in our day, other people don't and it's not because they're bad and it's not because they're dumb it's just they don't know yeah perfect well anyway i could 
on and on. And on. <laughs> oh, you are an, you're an amazing human being, Mark. Yeah. I could honestly talk to you all day. And I hope that, you know, once things are, well, I don't know what normal is anymore. But um, if, if you're ever over in the UK, I, I would love to meet up. And, yeah. um, I'll buy you a, buy you a veggie Andrew burger. And... <laughs> yeah, I'm buy you a vegan burger. <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny because because uh, I, I haven't traveled in a few years just because I wanted to stay home. And now this whole pandemic is changing things. But one of my trips to London, a couple of years, it was probably five years when there was this um, group called the Sentience Mosaic run by Helen Proctor, now Helen Lambert, who's, who's a champion for animals. Um, um, people would say, well, how do, you, how do you eat there? And I'm thinking, well, London's got amazing Indian restaurants, for example. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know, I mean, they've got amazing Asian restaurants. But once again, the people who I know that regularly have gone to the UK for business or pleasure d- don't see that. And mm. I'm going, well, the next time you go, just let me know. Or, yeah. or do a web search for vegan restaurants London and you could spend a month. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gosh, even in the last five years, though, I think you'd see a massive difference. It's sort of, it's, it's taken Uh-oh. off, you know. Um, so there, there is a lot more choice out there when yeah. you can go out, when they're open. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, some of the restaurants around Boulders are vegetarian. Um, there's a place just down the block from me. And, you know, a lot of restaurants are opening up now with social distancing and, Mm. you know, all the servers are wearing masks. And some of the restaurants that are predominantly or totally vegetarian are doing really well. Mm. Well, that's good. That's hopeful. Yeah. 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 So it ain't happening overnight. I mean, I I just tell people, you know, don't expect a gold star on your forehead because you've made this compassionate decision. Just figure, just, just. Just relish the fact that you're putting out a positive message and relish the fact that a lot of people will take it on. Yeah. So maybe, there you go. maybe we can <laughs> uh, maybe we can make a deal that when your new book comes out and we've had a chance to read it, that you and Jessica can come on together at one point in the future. That would oh, be... no, I'd love to do oh, that. Oh, that'd be and lovely. Yeah. When are you talking to Jessica? Uh, I think it's in the start of July. We've got another couple yeah, of books in before that. But yeah, I'm really interested in her book, The Last Walk and Run oh, Spot yeah. Run as well. Run Spot um, Run, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I've, she, I've she... just ordered that to read it before we speak to her. So Yeah, she's outstanding. I mean, she... she She's outstanding and um, she's very, very effective in a way where it almost just grabs you and you go, oh, yeah, you know, (laughs) she's not necessarily as flamboyant as I am um, and and stuff, but she's very effective and very uncompromising on certain things, which is good. I mean, you know, she's trained as a bioethicist and we we work just seamlessly together because we bring different points of view but she knows a lot of ethology and through her i've learned a lot of philosophy but i always tell her um that i don't want to learn too much because i it just doesn't get us anywhere and then she'll go crazy (laughs) yeah (laughs) so one thing so one thing you can do because i'll probably talk to her later about something but um you could you could tell her that um, her nickname is Lagomorph, like rabbit, <laughs> and <laughs> and that's because she lago she rabbit holes, you know, as philosophers <laughs> will. So we when we're writing together, or like when we're when we we're writing 
dogs gone wild, I could tell immediately it would get silent. And I and finally we called it lagomorphing. I said, no, Jessica, you, you can't lagomorph. Get out of the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> we need to keep moving. But it's not meant in a negative way. It's more meant that she's very thoughtful. And no, it's great that, you, you, that you're talking That's to great. her. That's great. Well, we'll see how we get on with her. And if we can be cheeky, we can get away with it. We might slip it in there. <laughs> she oh, wonder no, why no. we know. <laughs> no, she would, she would love it. <laughs> she, she, she would love it if you said something like, well, so you work with Mark Buffalo. Yeah, because you, you're you tell us what that means. <laughs> no. And I and okay, I will and I will deal. not tell her that. No, she, no, 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 no. She would not be offended by that at all. Because every now and again she'll send me an email or a text and say, Well, I've been thinking about this, and then dot dot dot. And I'd write back and go, think about it in the month. <laughs> but um but a lot of the ideas about animals in captivity of dogs as captive animals in unleashing come really from her work on bioethics and stuff. Fabulous. Looking forward to it well, even more now. Yeah. Well, thank you for your interest in um, my work. And thank you. So, do you put this out? Will this be posted? Yep. So this will be. So we'll we'll send you a link when it's up. Probably uh, some point um, within the next fourteen days, somewhere around that. But yeah, I'll. Um, I'll, I'll I'll give you a thing, and if, and if you could like share it around or or sing about. Oh, it I'll share bit. it with a lot of people. So before we go, I just want to make sure because now I can't read my handwriting. The guy's name is Steve Mann. Yeah, Steve um with a V um and a man M A double N. Okay, okay, and it's easy peasy puppy squeezing. Squeezy. Squeezy. I'll find it. <laughs> I'm going to clip this bit of audio and send it to him. He's going to. He is going to love it. Yeah. I'll. I'll. Um, I'll send you a link to it, Mark. Yeah. I've got your email, haven't I? So I'll send you the link. Oh yeah, because because I think what he's um. No, the reason is, and you could talk to Jessica about some of this. This whole latchkey dogs and stuff. Yeah. Is is um. You know, we're gonna have we're gonna have the opportunity, you know, to edit the manuscript for Dogs Gone Wild. I really like that phrase. I don't I don't know that I've ever heard it, but it makes so sense, so much sense. Yeah, um, he's he's incredible. He's a he's a very uh, charming, great speaker, um, really down to earth guy. So I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure I'll. Um... And and is he in the UK? Did you say? Yeah, he's in yeah. the UK. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you know where? Um, Hertfordshire, I believe. Yeah, um, I think so off the top of my head but um yeah. yeah well you know what if you get a chance um you could send me a link to the book and do you know him yeah yeah i know him i, I, can, oh. I can put you in contact with him yeah put me in contact with him because he might be interested in some of this stuff um that and, and jessica i mean another topic because jessica you know when we were writing this book you know we did it jointly but this whole idea about what we know about homed dogs and how it relates to free ranging dogs is really important. And she's really, she's really thought, you know, a lot about that as well. Uh, he's got um, some, he's got some great stories about his trip to Cusco. Um, or apparently, well, I think, apparently the dogs out there, Mark, stop at the traffic lights and wait for them to oh, beep and then walk across. Um, they've learned the beeping. Yeah, <laughs> they've learned the beeping. So yeah. They're, I'm, yeah, and then uh, and I do have to go, but there's yeah. places in Boulder where there are flashing lights for crosswalks for pedestrians, and I know 
although people laugh at me and they think that, you know, I've already had my margarita in the morning, um, <laughs> but, but, but people laugh at me. I think the deer in North Boulder, just about a mile from here, which is, which is not heavily lived in, you know, um, I think that some of the deer in North Boulder somehow know when they trip the flashing lights in the crosswalk, they know what it's going to mean. That wow. you know, cars will stop. No, I, I swear, I have seen situations where they get to the curb and they stop, and then they walk across. Brilliant. So Why I think they be able to make those associations. It's you know, it, I remember watching some videos of um, some uh, corvids. I can't remember what what species, but they had learned that they were safe to go into the road when the traffic had stopped. So the thing yeah. happened. It was the same association. Yeah, and they were crow, crows who were fetching food. That was it, yep. yeah. yeah. And some of them, uh, yeah, I, f I know the guy who did that study. So I can't remember them, where I saw it, but, it, you know, it's just one of them things you think of. But Well, it's all over in the popular press, but, yeah. you know, they, they drop nuts, and when they hit the ground, they stay open. Yeah, That's and it, so would, yes, that's they, it. They would drop them, and then they would know to go in when the light is red. No, yeah. I, I know. It's, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It's just amazing. See, those are the kinds of see, those are the kinds of things people really love. And that's, you know, getting back to dogs as we close. Um, those are the stories that people love about dogs. Yeah. They, they yeah. do. So and it really anyway, makes I'm something. Because my friend is not going to be as Yeah. Sorry for keeping you <laughs> but, um, thank, but thank you so much. Getting the information on Steve Mann. Stay yeah, in of touch. Course, of course. And um we'll, are you uh, do you all get my dog essays? No, I don't personally, but um, whereabouts can we find them? I know I will put you on my dog group. Oh. oh, that would be amazing. Let me just write this down. I, I thought I had you on to dog group. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting group of people. I send the essays out blindly and there's still some people on it who wanted to be on it who are not in our camp. And slowly but surely they're coming into our camp. Wow. So I don't say a word. I just put it out. And <laughs> if someone sends me a nasty email, fine. I don't really care. I, I respond, thank you. And I move on. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mark. I, I really appreciate this. Um, it's been fascinating. Yeah. And um, uh, thanks for your time. It's been brilliant. Yeah. yeah, stay in touch. And I'm going to go. So. All right. Have a lovely day, Mark. Take okay, care. Thanks. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. wow that wow that whole interview was a greg wallace moment <laughs> i don't know i just don't know what to say sometimes and that's saying something for me um i yeah i sorry i completely took over the interview as well because there was so much stuff i wanted to ask him and like oh, oh. i could have talked to him for so 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 long Apologies really to, I, I realised right at the end that I forgot to ask Greg. Greg sent us a question and I forgot to ask it. I'm so. sure he'll forgive us because there was a there was a lot to try and cram in. And it, and it was a really good question, Greg. It was a really good question. Um, uh, but, oh, I don't know if I should say anything. But, but maybe, just maybe, I might be able to ask his question in another context on another... I don't know, anyway, Ooh. hold this space. Uh, but, um, yeah... Uh, Wow, I don't know. Yeah, what an amazing guy. What um Yeah. I he's just everything he does is just amazing. Can I say that? Is that right? Yeah, I think that's fine. He's an amazing human being and what a privilege to speak with him and I 
I'm so glad I mentioned my um, yeah. boss, you know. How incredible. Because <laughs> what a small world. I know. And an even smaller world. Did you know, Nat, that I my middle name, I was named after Mark Beckoff. Oh, really? You're named <laughs> after him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mark I with just, a C. Mark with yeah. a C. Uh, Lafonge. It's a really small world, isn't it? It is a small world. <laughs> Made smaller by Zoom. <laughs> Made smaller by Zoom, indeed, indeed. So, um, yeah, uh, with our, well, I think I need about a week to get over that. It's easy for you to say. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll decompress and take all that information in. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed that listening out there. Um, we we I are, hope so. We are always humbled, so. aren't we, to talk to these people? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I hope that sort of comes across. Like, yeah, yeah. What a great guy. So thank you so much if you're listening, Mark, for talking to yes. us and adding us to the dog um, email, the dog info email listing. Um, that's that's incredible. Yeah, Hello. already got a new article come through already about. Uh, a goose uh, taking care of forty-seven babies. A goose. You... I mean, that's the kind of stuff you want. You want in your inbox every day, isn't it? I feel like I'm in the inner circle of behaviour. Uh, I know. I've got I know. Those, it's one of those rooms that I've got. No... Oh, the picture is amazing. Oh, shut the front door. I love a goose. You know me and geese. We go, yeah. we go way back. Well, you got to get get on your emails, mate. I'll get on my email. Got it. It's Straight in after inbox. this. Straight after this, I'll be on it. I can't multitask. Okay. You know me. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm a full man. <laughs> <laughs> not wanting to stereotype men i'm sure there's plenty out there that can multitask just fine just not me it turns out maybe a few the only thing i can do at the same time is sweat at the same time as i'm doing anything else that's the only thing i can do can't even sneeze i have to stop to sneeze but sweating apparently that that works really well anyway yeah i went off on a tangent again um so uh yeah greggy greggy boy not 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 big Greg, not big g not big g other greg greggy wee greggy wee no <laughs> Greggy Wallace. Is he coming? <laughs> is he is coming? Fuck. Hang on. Where is he? Greg. Whoa. It's the Greg Wallace moment. <laughs> Ooh. Here he is. Greg, Greggy Wee. <laughs> Greggy Wee. Oh, dear. Greggy Okay. So, here we go. Yep. <clears throat> Every now and again, we discover that some of our beliefs are supported by scientific research. As reported by Farm Sanctuary, recent research using functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, shows that vegetarians and vegans appear to have more of an empathetic response to both human and animal suffering. fMRI brain scans showed that the areas of the brain associated with empathy, such as the anterior cingulate cortex and the left inferior frontal gyrus in this study, were more activated in vegetarians and vegans compared to omnivores when all three groups were shown pictures of human or animal suffering. Wow. I okay. Wow. I've got a, immediately I've got immediately I've got a question there. Does, does yep. that would that uh, so so saying that like vegans vegetarians have a more empathetic reaction is that right is that what you're saying there? Yes. Okay. So they're a part they're a part of their brains fire at an increased rate when shown human or animal suffering so would that be would that occur that change in their brain if it is a change maybe it's already there but would, would that potentially occur when they become or on the route to becoming more um you know uh, more... Uh, well 
I don't know enough about the anterior cingulate cortex and the left inferior frontal Why gyrus. not? <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, I did, I've ordered the book about it, but... Um, Have you really? It's, no, I haven't. Oh, God. I was gonna, um, see, I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think it would... Excuse the pun I'm going to use here. No, uh, it, it, it's probably a chicken or egg situation <laughs> because you're more likely to be vegetarian and vegan if you are maybe... Empath- more emp- empathetic to suffering okay um but also that will continue so the way we would look at kind of neuroplasticity and the development of new um areas of the brain uh, i guess if if that the neuroscience is the same for those particular areas of the brain um like like mark says compassion begets compassion so mm. once you're already there you're more likely to ve- develop more of it that's really interesting. Um, but I, I, I don't know enough about it, but I would probably, I would presume that maybe early experiences in genetics would um, kind of maybe maybe predispose you. And, you know, then you've got initiating factors in your early development that would build on those areas, similar with our, our dogs. Um, but what a fascinating thing. Did I, did I choose well with my wow moment? That was a wow moment. It yeah. immediately, immediately fired my, my tiny brain off. I, wanted I, don't to... want any, I don't want any carnivores and omnivores feeling left out out there, you know. No, no, no. It's, it's not getting all preachy it's here. It's not what it's about, is it? No, it's I mean, not what it's about. It's I just certainly, opening those lines of conversation. I certainly have eaten my fair share of meat in my life. I 100% can, uh, can hold my hand up to that. Um, I, I became a vegan quite late um vegetarian for a long time before as a vegan mm. as well i went through a funny a funny phase of like so i i always bring up this uh that that cognitive dissonance thing like i definitely had that because when i was a kid i wanted to um i always remember i used to save insects out of like hotel swimming pools and i even yeah. i even built like out of little matchboxes this insect hospital I say save. I don't know how many I saved. There were probably, but I probably fished them out at the right time if I did save them. I wasn't giving them mouth to mouth on the side of the. Yeah, uh, they didn't so. die as quickly, maybe. I wasn't. Yeah, I was more of a David Hasselhoff for insects, maybe. Um, just minus the hairy chest because I was about eight. Um, but yeah, um, so I used to do that, and and we used to go. I mean, I was lucky enough that my mum and dad took me to all sorts of places and all sorts of places that had all sorts of interesting wildlife um uh one of my earliest holiday memories was seeing monitor lizards um wow. and that was i think that was in Sri they lanka. are a creature to behold aren't they yeah they were like the cats of sri lanka you know they were going around sort of like looking for all of the the scraps and bits and bits and bobs mm. well like the dogs i guess as well but um but yeah so always i always had this inbuilt kind of like i wanted to help and save and not see animals suffer but then i was also a meat eater i guess because that was just what you did what you did what yeah. i was presented when i was eight. i didn't have much choices it turns out about what i ate um and yeah the path to then becoming a vegan was a long and mostly it was just conversations between well meeting you number one that was a big that mm-hmm. was a big turning point but um conversations between me and corin because we went for a stage of just wanting to buy like um like game stuff because we we we'd reasoned that at least those things had had some sort of wild life um yeah uh and then you know it was it was a long it was a long road um well these things never happen in you know it's the the kind of eureka moment 
sometimes happens, but mostly behavior change is about lots of little baby steps, isn't it? Yeah, just sort of working. And the fundamental thing is you've got to want to do it. And if you don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm past the days of judgy, judge, judge. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't do anyone any favours. Everyone's just living their life the best they can, aren't Indeed, they? Indeed, doing the best they can with the tools they got. Indeed. So, um, yeah, so moving on to my Greg. Well, that was a great one, wasn't it? Well done. Thanks. Um, okay, so I've got a quote here <clears throat> from, well, it could be from, I'm not clear actually, whether it's Mark or Jessica that's written this um, in, in the book that uh, I was reading. So here we go. It's not easy for dogs to live as our pets, being good dogs requires a constant stream of limitations to their natural dogness. Regardless of whether or not dogs have chosen to evolve with us, they have very little choice in the specific human environments in which they live their lives. And often they have very little control in what they're allowed to do. There is a crucial asymmetry in our relationship with dogs. We enjoy many freedoms that they don't. That's part one of my quote. Okay, can I go? I, like I can. That. I can. I'm also conscious of that. So, like, you know, oh my god, doom and gloom. You know, our dogs in our lives are all having a bad, the short end of the leash, if you like. Um, but this is the next one. Okay, so I've got a double quote. People often report that their dog is their most important source of emotional support. The reason my dog loves me for who I am. People often reply. When we love and respect dogs for who they are, it's a win-win for everybody. We are most fortunate to have dogs in our lives and we must work for the day when all dogs are fortunate to have us in their lives too. I like that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I and that really made me think. It's like the, the two those two quotes there, there's one that's like, you know, oh, they don't have a lot of choices, we don't do this. But then you read the book, and like I say, the book is just a manual for giving your dog I love the word dogness. Giving your dog so do more, I. Your I was going to say, dogness. I love natural dogness. Yeah, and it's great. And the book literally goes, each section is, so you, there's a section on walking, there's a section on sniffing, there's a section on playing, there's a section on, on taste. Um, really wow. fantastic bits and all ways that you can enrich and, and give more dogness. Give more dogness. That's what Steve be says. Be more dogness. Yeah. Be more, give more dogness. Be more dogness, <laughs> says Barks on the Bookshelf. Um, and, and that's what it's about, folks. I think we can, when like, like, I read that first quote, and that's the reason there's two, and I, I kind of immediately, I kind of felt maybe the pressure that we're under as owners sometimes. And, and, you know, we, we are doing, we are, and I've very seldom have I met a dog owner that doesn't want to do the best they absolutely can for their dog. Most of us, you know, 99% yeah. of us are, we want to do the best. We love our dogs and we want to give them that dogness. Sometimes we just don't know how to do it. And yeah, actually yeah. it turns out the things that you can do to give them that dogness they're not massive. They're not things that you have to concentrate on for half the day. It's just being mindful, being more present at certain times of the day and just adding a little bit more variety into their lives, a little bit more choice for them. Yeah. And like Mark said in the interview, you know, becoming fluent in dog. Yeah. So you can, you know, understand what's going on a bit more. Um and I know we've harped on about that in previous episodes as well. You know, it started with Turid, didn't it? And, exactly. And, you know, being they able seem to, to understand our dogs. They seem to have taken a real sort of almost organic pathway through all these yeah. interviews of talking to people. And, and everything seems to hark back to something else, which is really nice, which I guess it would, because we're going to pick the sort of books that we like, aren't we? And the yeah. sort of people with yeah. the same same ethos as us. I was interested, actually, I wanted to ask your opinion about the the part of the um, of the talk there where, where Mark was saying, you uh, don't want to put words in his mouth um but about letting dogs kind of sort it out for themselves 
is something that I would maybe advise against. Um, but listening to him and then and then looking back on times when I ha- when I have let things play out, um, I, it seems to make a lot of sense to me. Um, and I was interested in that, like it only turns into a fight one percent of the time. Quote. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that? I think that um, uh, there's too many human influences going on a lot of the time to be able to leave it to safely happen. Because yeah. let's say you're down the park. Um, because what he, I think the point he was trying to make is that the the interactions that go on when humans are absent might be different because they are more nuanced mm. and we're not there with our big clumsy ape hands going, no, come back here. Um, whereas if you're down the park and let's say one of my little terriers tells a big goofy Labrador to get out of their face, um, if if someone then grabs at those dogs because they're worried there's going to be a fight then the likelihood is there's going to be more conflict involved because yeah. then the dogs aren't free to move around and i think it's a really tricky discussion to have because mm. and, and you know mark said didn't he um sometimes you you get it right to let it play yeah, out sometimes did. you get it wrong he did, yeah. but you, the, the 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 pathway to success is to really know your dogs inside out and and you know i find myself saying it when i've observed a dog for a while and i match them up with one of mine i go i think it's going to be okay yeah it might not be yeah well, but i've done everything in in my power to make things favorable that these two dogs can have a nice interaction yeah um so i think yeah it's it's a hard one isn't it because there's so many factors that you can't then you it comes with experience you can't just teach that and say well if you do this then this will happen and then that will happen you kind of need to observe it and I guess that's the skill in our work isn't it it's helping people to watch their their dog and point things out and almost be that running commentary like um uh those Andrew Cotterham uh videos that have been going around did I get his name right I I, hope I did I can't remember it's but they are excellent the sports commentator um yeah yeah, so good (laughs) so we you know we know we need to kind of um help our our clients and or family or whoever we're working with to sort of be able to know when to step in and when not to. I love, I think, sorry, go on. No, no, sorry, go on. I love that he said about the two friends that went to the dog park without a dog. Yeah, that was I, great. I really love that idea. And and also after speaking to Steve Mann as well, that the idea of, of going on a holiday to watch dogs. Oh you my know goodness. what I mean? I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. That would be great. Yeah. Um, How amazing would that be? Maybe we should do a field trip one day now yeah when you know when we're allowed out i again. would love to but I'd, I'd miss my own dogs i get separation anxiety oh yeah that's a good point yeah, yeah. well i'll go <laughs> okay <laughs> you can look after my dogs okay <laughs> it's a deal you heard it here uh, everyone you heard that right hang on i don't think i did sign up to that but hey <laughs> i'm gonna go off for three did i tell you it's three months three months uh <laughs> and you're having a newfoundland in your bed with you um <laughs> Yeah, fascinating. Um, and again, the um, the ethology. So the ethology. Um, I, I get it mixed up. Um, forgive me. Um, so you're from an ethology background, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's that just is a study study of behaviour. So and that is the where where the skill of like watching, like sitting back and watching rather than mooching on in yeah. there and sort of like yeah, that fascinates me. I wish I had an yeah. ethology background. I'm gonna. I'm going to try and well, be... you can get one. I'm going to try well, and be more It won't be a background, ethology. it'll be a foreground. I'll go for an ethology foreground. Why not? <laughs> uh, 
um, yeah, I, it sounds fascinating. That sounds really. Whenever I hear you talk about it, I it really like I can c- clearly hear your passion about that, and it makes perfect sense. You know, like you know when things. I think that that's my neural pathways forming in my brain. That you know, all of those things link together, and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I love hearing people talk about this, and it, <laughs> it infuses me. That's what. Oh, I to say. good. So yeah, win win. Um, so yeah, I hope you all enjoyed our Greg Wallace's moments. Indeed, Greg, your Greg, eyelashes also were good. Greggy wee, Greggy wee. I know. I don't know why that. <laughs> my mouth starts, and sometimes my brain just cannot keep up. I don't know what's going on sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, apologies. <laughs> right, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Question. 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 Okay, thanks. so these are a bit. Thanks, bit everyone, of a, for sending. Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, sorry, thanks. thanks, thanks. Yeah, um, but these are a bit. I was going to apologise first and then oh, okay. say thank you. So uh, that just shows how how different we are. See, we complement each other so well. Um, uh, thank you for your questions, everybody. And I'm sorry that we haven't got to them quick more quickly. Um, but these are from the thread on the 29th of May with lovely fish and mouse at the top of it, and we have. Um, we have four questions. Four. Um, two from two called um, Mandy. Mm-hmm. Um, Same Mandy, different uh, Mandy? Uh, no, two different Mandys. Two Mandys, um, who would have thought it? I'm sure we had a question from Man- Mandy McTaggart before because didn't I? I'm sure I did in my head she was Scottish. Oh, you um, did. Anyway, um, and uh, Rebecca and a Greg. So okay. let's start at the top. Right. Um, I would like, this is Mandy Calloway. I would like another dog or puppy or older. What's the best age slash breed to introduce to my reactive, nearly six-year-old male neutered dog? I'd really love to have another dog, but I'm so worried about this. Wow, over to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's a lot lot to think about there, isn't there? A lot to think about. Um, uh, Tricky, tricky introducing a puppy to a reactive dog. well, the art of introducing dogs, first of all. Louise, yeah, go Louise out, Jimmons get, voice. listen to the uh, the copy of the podcast that we um, chatted to Louise about. And um, if you've got uh, an older male neuter dog, you don't mention which breed. But basically, if you want to set things up for success, then try and go for something or somebody that isn't going to clash. Mm-hmm. so because if they've got the same motivations they're more likely to then um uh have a conflict but it depends on personality to be perfectly honest mandy i would i would read louise's book um and i would get in touch with a reputable rescue um and they will help you structure the any introductions and you know meet meet a dog um and I've known um, people with reactive dogs that have taken on dogs from my my local RSPCA where I work very closely and they've taken, you know, a good couple of months or so to introduce the dogs to check that it's all going to go. Okay. Obviously that management continues once they get home, Um, but don't, don't rush into anything and just uh, without sounding awful shop around for the right new dog. Of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, we we um, introducing uh, Peaches to Penny at the moment and the, both of them are sociable, but we're still taking a lot of time, mainly because yeah. of the size difference, but not just because of the size difference, because of the, per- the different personalities as well. Um, uh, yeah, so d- the time, 
time is yeah. the big one prepare for it to take some time find the right dog and prepare for it to take some time yeah that's, that's the best yeah. advice i can give there good question yeah very good question thank you they're good question um uh amanda mctaggart has asked can we have some tips of introducing your new puppy to your present dog please things like is it better in the house outside on leads um again same kind of stuff so i'd look at all the groundwork that louise um jimman writes in her book um and i would say that in general uh it's better to go to a neutral territory and just go for uh sniffy walks where you can gradually close the gap it depends on the personalities of each of the dogs mm. on how quickly that will go um but if you're if you're worried then there's no reason why um a reputable behaviorist won't help with something like that um so yeah make a plan um with the help of of someone if you need to um and yeah neutral territory separate space in the house to start with um i'm actually doing a webinar for the um oh yeah bvba on multi-dog households so that might be I'll, I'll plug it on the page just in case it's useful for anybody that will be useful and it'd be great and by the way the, your your um your conference was brilliant Oh, thanks, mate. It was really, really good. So there you go. Thank you. Full marks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> you can Yay. write. You can write with a pen next week. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> I try not to lose it when I take it home. My my childhood trauma story. I know. <laughs> well, hopefully that helps, Mandy. Um, thank you for your question. Thank and you. Let us know else. Uh, Rebecca asks. Right, you ready? This is this is a very long but very good question. Okay. In general. In terms of socialising puppies, hang on, hold, does hold one on. One bad experience get outweighed by lots of good experiences. Nat, can you hear me? What? Hold, you? hold on a second. You went all you went all computer gibbery then. Oh, did I? Shall I start again? I thought it sounded excellent, but I don't think anyone would. <laughs> I don't think anyone would be able to hear the question. Was I doing a Dalek impression? <laughs> Unless that's how the question was worded, I might that, be wrong. That was it, actually. That was the question. What, what do you think? <laughs> well, let me answer. Yeah, I think we should we should start again. <laughs> okay, right. Um, in general. In terms of socialising puppies, does one bad experience get outweighed by lots of good experiences, as said by Dunbar, Donaldson and others? Or does one bad experience vastly outweigh many good experiences, as absolute dogs and others say? I know this is going to be a very case specific, depending on the resilience of the puppy and the severity of the bad experience. And we should always try to ensure positive experiences for the puppy by managing the situation carefully. But one approach encourages a lot of encounters, so the chance of a bad one increases, and the other encourages fewer. So which approach, in general, is best for most puppies and is backed up by the science? Well, you should always be looking at setting up as many positive experiences as you can when you're looking at socialising um, a puppy. I guess you, we're talking about here is the kind of like, because I was reading this, this was about humans, um, but the whole idea of like what something bad happens to you, it takes five positive experiences to outweigh that. Um, um, mm. Yeah, I I don't know. What do you reckon? It's uh, well, I think depends I on think, the dog. Rob, it it does depend on the dog. Mm. Um, and so, uh, in terms of being backed up by the science, uh, Rebecca, the 
the the most robust science out there is about dogs in a um a kind of um, deprived environment and then um, developing where it's quite barren. Mm -hmm. So they have very few social experiences and very few positive experiences. Um, and that science kind of shows that they are less resilient. They're more likely to have fear-based responses. They're more likely to show aggression. They're more likely to shy away. Um, and so, uh, that that's kind of what a lot of those journals would look at and we can see that with with puppy farm dogs you mm. know um however what you can't do is have two identical puppies and kind of raise them in different ways and, and compare that because yeah. there's always going to be that individuality um and you know the old nature nurture debate mm. um Personally, I would say that you um, you can never manage for there to only be good experiences and that everything is on a spectrum. Um, you know, uh, sometimes something catastrophic and, you know, acute trauma happens. And you, from the trauma research, you're, you're more likely to be able to uh, sort of bounce back from that if you've had previously positive experiences. Mm. So I would, I would always err on the side of, um, of, of more experiences, um, but quality experiences. Yeah. So um, it was a really good question and a really interesting, um, really interesting debate. I certainly wouldn't be holding my puppy back from um, uh, experiences in the worry that they might be bad. Yeah, that's you know, what I was thinking, yeah. Uh, if I genuinely, you know, if your friend invited you around and they've got a bit of a sharp collie, then of course that's mm. I would just wouldn't take them there. I wouldn't go into it thinking, well, let's just see how it goes. Uh, so I think it's just about careful management, really, and not only management in the planning, but management in the moment, so that if you can see something escalating, you can kind of get in there and, and break it up if it needs to be, and, and redirect the dogs. Um, I've definitely seen, yeah, I mean, the, the, so I run socialization classes, we call it a puppy conversations. Um, and I, I have seen the, the benefits firsthand of, you know, well run, um, you know, positive experiences for dogs. Um, quite often we all have, um, nervous puppies come in and as long as they're paired up with the right kind of dog for that kind of puppy, normally within, you know, 10 minutes they're bouncing around um obviously each dog's different that's the caveat that we put with everything that we do but um you know the benefits of those are are i've seen personally um uh uh you know dogs become more well balanced um mm. being able to deal with things a little bit better um because a lot of those dogs have then gone on to be you know clients of mine for a long time so um so yeah uh, it's fluency, isn't it? It's yeah. it's it, and you only get fluent if you practice something, and yeah. you can't practice something.
something if you're having limited social experiences so i'd be interested to find out more about what absolute dogs are actually saying i, I don't i don't know what they're yeah. saying um in terms of their experiences um, they're whirling would, dervishes those two they come up they on my, are uh, i they come up on my facebook and sometimes i have to turn the volume down that's no that's no uh, yeah. it's just like i'm listening in the morning it's like hi how are you doing <laughs> what's going on I'm like, they're far too awake aren't they yeah. yeah and god knows i can be annoying with my voice but i'm just saying i'm just saying that's like woo so yeah um yeah it would be interesting to hear what they're saying um I, yeah i might i might go digging so if i find anything else then guys. i'll um i'll get back next time but Brilliant. thank you for the question rebecca sorry i answered it with more questions than <laughs> than uh, than you had but um hopefully that helps that's what happens sometimes isn't it questions yeah. is, questions beget questions Indeed. there you go that's my quote yeah that one <laughs> right last one from greggy p Oh, is this the one that I was supposed so, to ask, or is it? No, a one? this oh, is one. this was on the puppy one. So, what the th- you can do this one, Steve? Oh. What are the three top tips you would give any parents with young children who have recently got a puppy in relation to managing their puppy and child interactions and expectations? Um, yeah, right. So, three top. Well, management, management, management. When you got kids. <laughs> Um, that's my three. I went all Tony Blair, didn't I? Um, <laughs> education, education. Um, yeah, um, no. Um, uh, don't, do, yeah. So number one tip, management. Set your house up so you've got spaces where the kids can be and the dog can be with the best will in the world. You cannot be actively supervising um, a, a young puppy and kids um, all the time. No matter how much you think you will be able to, you won't be able to. And I always mm. say, you know, actively supervise. So supervision isn't, you know, you're in the room on your phone while your kids are over the other side with the puppy. It is watching them like a hawk as best you can. We're all, we're all only human, um, yeah. of course, but that's where management comes in. So it just buys you that breathing space of like, I know the puppy's there. I know my kids are there. That means I can now make a sandwich, thank God. And uh, nothing crazy is going to happen. Um, play styles of puppies and play styles of children don't generally meld together. I've bashed my fist together there, isn't it? And that's not a very, uh, that's not a very podcasty thing, is it? Um, you know, puppies want to play generally by using their, their their teeth and their mouth to grab hold of things. And kids, a lot of kids want to pick puppies up and place them near their kiddie faces. And of course, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, uh, I So yeah, understanding that things are going to be, you know, you're going to have to be doing a lot of management, a lot of stepping in. Um, that's the one, that's the biggest thing. If you've got kids and you're going to get a puppy, um, you know, the first few months, six months of their life is going to be a lot of, you know, um, management, making sure nothing silly happens. Um, kids and dogs can live harmonious lives. One of the best things I, here's a good tip for you. So one of the best things that I um, have done in the past is, um, I, I've seen a lot of problems with kids wanting to go over and, and pick uh dogs up when they're asleep wake them up when they're asleep messing with their food bowl things along those lines so yeah so easily avoidable things assuming that you can um logically reason with your children let's just say so here's a great tip i love this right so with your if you've got kids or if you're thinking of um, and uh, like smaller kids ones that can't necessarily be that easily reasoned with um then make some signs so get involved with your kids and make some signs and you get two signs right one sign would say puppy is sleeping 
leave alone. The other sign will say puppy is eating, leave alone. And then get the kids to make those signs, get out craft day, you know, get all your cardboard and your paints out and you get them all involved in it and then make the kids be the agents of, so when they see the dog is sleeping, encourage them to go and get the sign and put it up. Yeah, because that gives them a Love real clear it. indicator Love of the involvement. puppy is sleeping. Yeah, and then also you can always add a little bit of positive reinforcement. So, and that's sweetie, a lovely sweetie, if they put the sign up. And then, of course, that encourages them to leave them alone. And it, and it teaches them something as well. That's been, um, that's worked wonders um, on numerous occasions for me working with young children and puppies. So, there's a nice tip for you. Um, that's a lovely tip. Love that. Yeah, I like that one. Um Games, I think, like a tip for games with kids. Um, I've done a wooden spoon game before where... So it's all about trying to teach the dog to stay on the deck rather than jump up at the children because they always want to... Because, you know, kids squeal and squeak and run and yelp and all of the things that kids love to do, which is massively exciting for a puppy or generally can be also quite scary for some puppies. Um, so a, a little wooden spoon game... I um I've advised people to do is like put a little bit of marmite or something on a wooden spoon when your dog's not looking and and then send your kid off to hide somewhere not you know don't send them like 15 flights of stairs away so you don't know what's going on <laughs> and then send the dog to find them but when the dog finds them they put the spoon down and let the dog lick the little marmite off the spoon and then I like that, that and that well. gives them um uh, uh, something to focus on that's on the floor that's engaging with the kids, but also, um, you know, not meaning that they're not jumping up. Um, and another one, if you want another one, is... Um, you're full of ideas today. I'm loving this. <laughs> um, I don't know where I heard this one. But I heard this one from someone else, so I can't credit them with the idea. I can't. Th I think it was at the puppy conference I went with. I went to with Jeanette Maloon. Um, and this was... I love this. So you get go down your either plumbing supply shop or you can use like the inside of um, wrapping paper. So you need a tube, basically. Yeah. And then when you're sitting on the sofa, give your... So when you've got your kids sitting on the sofa, give your kids like a little um uh bowl of some of your dog's dinner and they drop the biscuits down the tube so it comes out at the bottom and just again Amazing. just giving your dog an association for you know if i stay around the bottom of the sofa when the kids are on it something good's going to happen rather than trying to jump up and, and get the kids all the time and you can play those little games in little you know little periods of time like little five minute little games and things along those lines and then you can also if, if if the kids are a bit older you can start getting them to deliver the treat when the dog does something you like like sit or lay down or something along those yeah. lines and then that's a nice introduction to positive reward based training clear clear instructions for the kids as well as to the the rules of the game yeah i don't know like the, all the kids in my life they love a rule you know and yeah. they'll soon call out the adults if if they're breaking the rules <laughs> so those and, and the biggest tip of all i'm throwing two yes for free i'm throwing loads out is they are watching and they are learning kids are brilliant they'll give you away if you come around for like if, you, if i come around for a training session and you tell me that you ain't been shouting no at your dog and then you've got your kids in the background going no 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 then that's a classic giveaway yeah. that you have been doing it because those little eyes are watching and those little brains are learning and they learn from what you do so be you know you show them how to do it you you show them yeah. how to do it and they and just know that they're always watching and always learning i actually haven't got kids so i probably shouldn't talk uh oh, well, you, you said <laughs> some brilliant I've worked, ideas so i've worked with many many families and kids we have like kid friendly dog training classes and things like that so and kids seem to love me for some reason, probably because I have the uh, mental age of a five-year-old. So uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so there you go. I um, can neither confirm nor deny that statement. <laughs> so there's 40 tips there. For yeah, you, 40 for tips. Free. <laughs> um, well done, mate. Oh, good answers. Well done. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. So um, shall we uh, move on to our in praise of dog section? Do you know what? Let's Matt? do it. I've got a um, I've got a, a, a confession to make. Number one, I've lost what? lost the book as usual. Number oh, two, I haven't I haven't prepared one. Oh, have, have you got? Yeah, a... but it worked. It worked out so well last time when you just opened the book and read one because we heard about was it Arlo that one? Where oh you yes, of course. Do you know what? I've just done it. I think I might have done it again. That I've just opened. Have you got the book. a good in? Look at that picture. Oh look, it's a little Andrex puppy. So we got an Andrex puppy's bum, basically trying to trying to look up some stairs. Right, okay, I'm going for it. I've just opened it on a random page. I'm going just for it. I haven't read it. this. <clears throat> Can always the power of the edit. <laughs> <laughs> if it if it does advise shot collars, uh, apologies. Right, uh, number. So here we go. Uh, this one's titled "It's the challenges that make life interesting." <clears throat> Short little paragraph. This one. With a combination of patience and perseverance, dogs turn obstacles into opportunities and show us what can be accomplished by simply sticking with it. They pursue every goal, whether catching a ball or protecting a loved one, with spirit and determination. Nothing can discourage them or dampen their enthusiasm. Kind of a sweeping. Aww, well, it's, not, that's cute. it's nice, but kind of a sweeping generalisation. Look well, at me, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> taking, taking the air out of my own sails. <laughs> I just go, just go with it, man. It yeah, good. they do. They can teach us loads. And um, what was the um, ah, the one of the? I just got to have a look at this up now. Hang on, one of the. So one of those rules that I said about sticking on your um, sticking on your mirror. Yeah, number four in the book that we that we talked about today was be grateful for how much your dog can teach you. I love that. Ah, oh, I love that. Um, so I think you that... know, um, the 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 probably the one and only bit of my PhD that I have actually written and I'm happy with is the dedication to all of my dogs in the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's blooming amazing. Uh, it's not. Uh, it sh- should be <laughs> by now. <laughs> it's going to be your you're going to be interviewed on here one day for your um ah. for your for your phd how would we do that i'd have to log in twice through zoom have you one ever do you know um the comedian richard herring i think i've mentioned yes, him on this podcast yes of course i know richard herring he does um he does a podcast called snooker um with me one versus me two and it's him it's a long running podcast series of him playing himself at snooker which sounds horrific, wow. but it is quite. I like. I do like snooker. Yeah, well, there you go. And I love. Um, oh, Willie Thorne died, man. I know. I saw that. Classic. Yeah. Um, and okay, I'm going to give it a go. But that's maybe we can do it like that. Like you, we can. You'd have to have two. So you need you need two um, things linked to Zoom. So two devices. So your computer and then a phone. Yeah. And then you're gonna have to run backwards and forwards between each of them. Well, I I wouldn't worry about organising it just yet because it's probably gonna be about <laughs> five hundred years until I finish my PhD. I so imagine we, it's gonna got be, a while. It's gonna be worth the wait though. That's the thing. <laughs> that is the thing. It will be. It will be. All all love for Nat and her PhD. <laughs> Thank you. Right. So, um, yeah, well, that, that brings that's, us to an end. That's a wrap, isn't it? It's a wrap, mate. It's a wrap. So uh, who we got coming up next on our show? Um, what we Who have we got? Well, booked? we next week, I don't know where we are in um, 
podcast land. I think they'll come though. They, yeah, they'll come out in order of how we've got people booked. Okay, in, so, yeah. so so next we have. Oh, drum roll. Linda Case. Linda Case. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this one. Me too. So she's got, uh, we're going to mainly focus on, um, I'm just looking at my bookshelf, but I've moved all my books around so I can't find it. Um, Mainly focus on her nutrition book. Uh We haven't talked about food much. And she's got a fantastic online course um, for those of you that might be interested in what um, or who you put in your dog's mouth. I like that. Um, well done. See what I did yeah, there. Yeah, well see what I did there. Um, and so, actually, they they fit quite nicely with that. Um, and she's also got a fabulous book called uh, "Beware the Straw Man," which is uh, looking at the kind of academic principles of critical analysis mm. and how you shouldn't believe everything you read from Barry on Facebook. The straw man argument. I've been surrounded by a few of them mm. of recent, I can tell you. Yeah. I can tell you. Yeah, I'm I'm into the the world of nutrition and dogs is a minefield. It um, really is. That, that quite a few people are scared to dip their wee toes into, so I might I might just shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, that's Might fine. just be a bystander on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, it's going to be interesting to hear uh, Linda's opinions on on some of these things, and also. Uh, so maybe we should do um, kind of a double act and have a book each again. Yeah. I- I'm happy to do the nutrition one, and I can drop you the straw man one round. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, does that yeah. sound good? I'd love that. And then the week after that, as as um, as alluded to in our interview, um, we are going to be interviewing Jessica Pierce who yes. is the co-author of many of Mark Begoff's books. Um, he talked about her in the interview. Um, she sounds fantastic. and uh, But actually, she's got two books that are really interesting. One is called uh, Run, Spot, Run, that I think you ordered live. I ha- I did. I ordered it live, so I will have read that by then. So, um, again, I'm happy to do that one. That so sounds good. So Run, Spot, Run, that's about, I believe, it's about the ethics of keeping companion animals, it which is always is. a uh, an interesting subject. Um, yeah. And the book that I'm going to read that Nat can't read because you'll get all quivery lipped about is uh, The Last Walk, which is about Oh, how God, I didn't know we... it was called The Last Walk as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. How we prepare, um, deal with, cope with um, the bereavement, um, you know, dogs going into old age and eventually, oh, dare I say it, leaving us... Um, um, which I went through. Re- the reason I'm so interested in this is I went through it um, with my older dog Scooby. I'll be honest; I'm not sure I've even processed it uh, quite yet. No. Um, so I, I, I'm really interested to read this book. I know it might be a sticky subject; it might not all be laughs and giggles like we normally are, but I do think it's something important because oh, there doesn't God, seem to so be a lot important. of stuff out there about it. And and no. you know, um, my my dogs are my you know. I always say this. This makes me sound like a real. I was going to say a rude word there, but. Um, my my first dog, uh, Rocco, died the same week as my nan died, and I was. This sounds horrible, but I was, um, you know, incredibly distraught about my dog dying, and it was inconsolable. And it took me really by by surprise how much I was, which sounds again makes me sound awful, but don't judge me. Um, um, and yeah, and then I didn't when my nan died. The week after, I didn't really have much left. In terms oh, of grief, sad, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, grief's a funny one. How it affects you. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's an important thing to talk about. Um, and um, now I've made myself sound heartless. I might sigh. No, you haven't. <laughs> no, you haven't at all. And it's important that we talk about these things. Yeah. Because 
you know like you say they're they're difficult subjects but they're really important subjects and yeah um yeah i just uh i, I just can't think about it which is not a healthy coping mechanism. So I will come prepared. I will bring some tissues. I may go quiet and I may have the old little wobbly lip going. Oh, here's but- the deal. I'll, 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 I'll sit down and shut up during the nutrition one and you can sit down and uh, shut up during the, <laughs> during the bereavement okay, one. Okay, <laughs> that sounds, that sounds And just right. weep in the corner. <laughs> Yeah, we I'll haven't had a you. we haven't had a live cry on a podcast. That, oh, that's good for ratings. That is so. Actually, no. Oh, I'm, gonna mi- I'm gonna mic you right up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you arrange some snot as well? Oh yeah, well like Blair, Blair Witch Project style, full on projectile. I'll see what I can do. What's the What's the fa- I don't know. I can't remember who said it. There's a famous quote: "There's only There's only two things guaranteed in life, and that's death and taxes, isn't it? I think that's the quote. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we should I think did, about did. it. Maybe I don't know. Don't want to. Anyway, shush. <laughs> don't think about it. I don't <laughs> <want> it. <laughs> you look at that. I'm pennies down here now, and I, every now and again I say to her, "You need to live forever." Okay, that's the deal. Yeah, she'll probably outlive yeah. me anyway. In fairness. Yeah, but then I worry about that as well. Yeah, I just worry about everything, Steve. Stop worrying. Take another uh-huh. Valium. <laughs> Sit in the garden. Don't injure. Bu- just don't injure yourself anymore. Yeah, well, I'm. I, I don't know. You never know what's going to happen. Well, tune in. Tune in next week for. What Nat broke this week. And yeah, the, the poll will be up on the Facebook page, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Atoms collide. Our cells divide Just like they've always done A spark of life We multiply This ride has just begun And here at the end that stretches back through all time Time guided by a primal desire to simply survive Survive You can't keep it Yeah.
it's our duty to persist Resist and fight and defend till the end Another's right to all this This bliss A wish A kiss You can't keep me down, you know And I can't keep you down, I know And it won't be kept down, we know It grows It grows